Welcome back to episode 10. We finally made it to the decade mark of Hot Takes Only with myself, Owen Hill, and I'm joined by, always, as always, with by Willie Kniezner. I can't get my words out right now. I'm a little congested right now. We'll try to get this podcast done in as short time as possible so I don't lose my voice by the end of the show. And we're joined today by uh, Nick Snyder, who we had on for our Premier League podcast, uh, a little preview. Nick, thank you so much for coming on this show. Uh, it's good to have you back to talk some shop, talking about the beautiful game, talking soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. That game with the round ball and the goals and the, the goals and the proper Hard to pronounce names. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So as I said, I'm a little congested. You, you were so. the good luck charm for Arsenal, I guess, weren't you? <laughs> well, I would say that uh, after coming on before, all my, like, your 75% of my hot takes ended up being completely false, which makes them truly good hot takes. So clearly I'm a, uh, I'm a much needed member of our soccer discussions here. Absolutely, absolutely. It's only a hot take if it doesn't come true. Exactly. It's only a hot take if it's wrong. <laughs> did, you, did you meet any West Ham fans on your trip? No, 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 I did not. Um, we, oh. we, the section we sat in is actually like pretty much adjacent to the away section um so i heard quite a few of them and they were having a good time chanting when they were up one nil they were chanting how shit must you be we're winning away and then when they were down two <laughs> one and three one they were uh they took some you know they 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 decided that they were going to go and just have a good time so the, the chance turned from you know we're winning or we're drawing to just uh we hate tottenham more than you so <laughs> There you go. Well, if, there's, if there's one thing that Arsenal fans, Liverpool fans, West Ham fans, and, and the like can all agree on, it's that we love clowning Tottenham fans. Yeah, and it's, it's getting to the point where I guess it's now a competition in London as to which other London fan base hates Tottenham the most. <laughs> hey, is, uh, is West Ham going to win a game here? Or are we, you know, we don't got all day, you know? Yeah, well, they're the ones that rioted last season, so... Yeah, they tried <laughs> to get a point out. first. I mean, yeah. three, three games, zero points with, a, I believe, a negative eight goal differential. It's not looking good at uh, at London Stadium. No. Arnaldovich is trying his hardest, though. Yeah, he is the, the big Austrian up front, uh, capable of scoring a couple screamers in his day, but uh, also capable of being on a team like West Ham that does, uh, well, nothing so far. <laughs> Yep. Well, hopping right wasn't into... The, wasn't Pellegrini oh, sorry, in China real quick? Wasn't he in China? Yeah, he was. Yeah, so that's and right. he came back wow. and, and realized that, oh, wow, this is hard <laughs> to, to get a player, a group of players, spend a lot of money and, and get them to play front foot football and, and defend with possession. is It's just, it, it's a it's a mess. What managers are in China now? Like famous, like, uh, was uh, Villa's boss there? Yeah, I was about it... to say, I think AVB's the Erickson? only real big name over there i think it was him and pellegrini were the kind of the big two of the big names over there and then obviously pellegrini came back to england and then so it's just it's just avb who well ah. that's he's he's had his own little we could talk about him for an entire episode but we're not going to <laughs> um so i know this must be it's a little bit of a sore subject for you guys both supporting teams that aren't in the champions league but it was kind of the big news uh immediately following the international break uh, or the, following the beginning of the international break was the Champions League draw. We yep. found out what the groups are going to be. We've obviously got a group of death featuring Liverpool, no doubt, uh, and some pretty easy groups for for teams like Bayern and uh, 
Bayern and Juventus, if I'm honest, and Man United as well. But we'll get to that in a little bit. But kind of the the breakdown of these groups is they're they're pretty evenly dispersed as far as kind of the big teams go. I mean, I, I think the the seeding uh, that UEFA does is usually pretty good. There's always that one group of death, which in this case is Group C with PSG, Napoli, Liverpool, and Cervantes Vezda or Red Star Belgrade. I uh, got that on my first try, thank God. Um, that looks like it's going to be the group of death in the Champions League, at least at first glance. But PSG have been kind of serial underachievers in the Champions League, given that squad and how much money they put in that squad. So it'll be interesting to see how that, that group plays out. And then obviously going to Red Star Belgrade is, is going to be tough for, for all of those teams just to get uh, get a result. Yeah, I mean, Group B is no joke too, right? Barca, Inter, Tottenham, and then PSV, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. So. I think B and C are definitely the two toughest groups to get. And I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting because, you know, like you said, um, PSG generally underachieves, but I think they'll get out of that group. I think it'll probably be Liverpool and PSG. Napoli could throw a wrench into one of the two, but I don't really see it. Um, I'm hoping for a nice inner Milan upset here and, knock Tottenham out ideally Tottenham out Tottenham goes out fourth so they don't even come into the Europa League but if they do come into the Europa League it would be fun to knock them out of that too <laughs> yeah it kind of reminds me of a few years ago in Liverpool and Man United got to play each other in the Europa League and Liverpool promptly knocked them out of the competition in the round of 16 that was uh that was a lot of fun don't sleep on group H either I think that's a sneaky group um I think Valencia is a team that you definitely can't sleep on. I think they're very underrated. I, I yeah. gotta disagree. I think I am sleeping on Valencia a little bit. I mean, I, I'm just I just have question marks out of any team that comes out of the Spanish division that's not Real Madrid or Barcelona. Even Atletico at times. I mean, I know they won the Europa League last year, but they 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 were pretty down last year. I mean, the, the reason they got into the Europa League is because their performance in the Champions League just mm-hmm. wasn't on par with what we're used to seeing. Um, then again, every few years they just seem to kind of play really well in this competition and, and either stifle one of the big boys or or just get results against kind of the smaller teams and, and make their way with their, their kind of, you know, I don't want to say it's English defending, but it's very, you know, well-organized, very tactical, play-on-the-counter-attack kind of, kind of defending with, with uh, Simeone in charge. And it's, it's always dangerous to play a team like that, especially for, you know, obviously the bigger teams like Barcelona and PSG and Bayern and City and Madrid, who are very possession teams, and Juventus as well, uh, because that, that feeds right into what Atletico want to do on the ball, which is not have it a lot of the time and then just <laughs> defend really well and hit you on the counterattack. And before you know it, you're 2-0 down. Um, and, and they only got better this year. They didn't lose any key players. We thought Jan Oblak was going to leave to one right. of the big clubs or bigger clubs. We thought... Maybe they'd lose Griezmann as well, but they've all stayed, and they've added Thomas Lamar from Monaco, who's also in that group Huge. with Dortmund and Group Bruges. So that should be something to watch as well. Group A, I think, a sneaky group as well. Are, are you really going to move along from Group H without making a Mourinho young boys joke? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold off on talking about Mourinho until they play um, Watford <laughs> on, on Saturday, but I, I think it's just it's just one of those things that... The mighty undefeated Watford. <laughs> Watford, oh, a, a full 12 points out of 12 so far, so you can't really knock them for... For what they've done, but they didn't haven't they really start all like like that last season too? They were they something good really... like that. Yeah, they were. Yep. But I mean, in terms of Group A, uh, at the risk of sounding very wrong, because I I kind of like watching Atletico play, and it's looked really tough for them this season. 
But um, I think that they should be, they're actually, I, I think, have a very good chance of going very far, if not all the way, just because of the fact that you look at the team and with the addition of Lamar, like you mentioned, with Correa and now a full season of, of Costa and Griezmann, they're set up perfectly to play teams on the counterattack. Um, I know they lost um, Gabby, but um, they brought in Rodri too to replace him. And I just think that, like you said, they're they're really good at defense. Um, Savage got a red card the other day. That's part of the reason they lost. But they're normally very solid. And I think they're just set up perfectly, uh, A, with a favorable draw in the group, unlike last year. Um, and I think, you know, no team, once you get in a knockout round, wants to play them. And I think they're just set up perfectly yeah. to beat any team on the counterattack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, their style of play is excellent for you know, dual you know, two-game knockout round type of situations because if and when they need to, they can basically just shut down games and hold the line for as long as they want. Uh, we saw that last year when we played them in the Europa League. It's just, it's tough. It's tough to play them, and they're perfectly set it set up to just, you know, snag a goal and then hold the fort for the, you know, one or two whole games if they need to. Yeah, I mean, like you guys were saying i mean it, it looks really tough when they have the ball sometimes you know and that's why you know i don't think they're gonna be able to contend in la liga just i mean even in their second game they scored on a set piece goal they really couldn't create much but man when you put those guys in the i mean how lamar is so fast isn't he i mean my gosh yeah I mean, um, you want you you can see kind of why liverpool are after him for such a long time and arsenal obviously lodging a 90 million pound bid uh it just you can you can see just why he's so highly rated in in England, and I think he eventually will, or England and around the world as well, and I think he eventually will make his way to England, but I think for now, uh, you know, if it's a year or two in Spain, then that's what it is, or maybe one of the big clubs comes calling after after a, a really good year. Who knows? I mean, football's just one of those really weird sports where, you know, you have guys like Fakir who, who you know, Captain's Leon has this move to Liverpool fall through, and all of a sudden he's he's stuck kind of brooding over not getting his move, and then before you know it, he could be playing for, you know, dare I say, Barcelona, Real Madrid, you know, one of the really, really big teams around around Europe. So it, it's it's just one of those things that, that can happen. And um, you'd like to think that clubs like Atletico, especially what they've done in the last four or five years or so, have kind of built up a reputation as, you know, players want to stay here. Um, but at the end of the day, kind of the history of of your massive clubs in England and Spain and Germany and Italy are, is going to weigh on on a lot of players and um, especially guys who are our age are you know maybe going to want to play for the clubs they literally played playing FIFA. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But I, I think when you have a guy like Griezmann kind of setting an example there and choosing to stay, it might help them turn the corner on that and kind of go from that tier one B up to someone that can retain players from the tier one a teams. So I think they did a really, whatever they did to keep Griezmann, they did a really good job there. And, and I think it'll set a good example for some of their younger talent. Do you, are, are you guys a bit worried about though? In, in the sense that, um, I mean, they've, they start, they haven't, they've started off really poorly in the Bundesliga this year. And last year, obviously they did win the Europa league, but um, they didn't challenge for La Liga and they, got knocked out of the Champions League. And it just kind of seems like, I don't want to say that their their window is closing, but maybe Simeone's kind of just lost a little bit of the magic and and, and maybe they just aren't going to quite replicate that level of, of, you know, going so far in the Champions League like they have in the past. 
No, I think as long as they have Simeone, they're always going to have a chance. Um, he's proven time and time again that he's one of the, the top managers in Europe. He can get it done in a league that at the top is as competitive as La Liga. Um, you know there's really, realistically, every year going to be t- two, three teams fighting for it. And the reason the third team's in the conversation is because of Simeone, basically taking them from where they were before they returned to you know, the top of the, the Spanish kind of hierarchy. Um, he, he's always going to have that opportunity. And, yeah, we've seen managers in the past kind of lose their touch. Um, after a certain time, you think of Klopp in his last year at Dortmund um, kind of losing the impact he had when he when he first joined the club. But I, I think with Simeone, the, just the, the way he motivates his players and the way he sets his team up, it, it lends itself to longer stretches of success than, than other managers. Um, so I think as long as, as, long as he's, in the, he's in the technical area, they'll, they'll be fine. Yeah, I also think that, like, the way the team plays, it's, it's, a, it's better for knockout competitions than for the league, right? Because the way they can shut down a game away and just take a nil-nil or 1-1 draw and then try to win one nothing at home, that'll get you through a knockout round. But taking those tactical draws in the league, I mean, if you're going to try to win the league, a draw is dropped points, right? So, you know, that ability and what really makes them special and defensively and being able to, like, shut down these games is not nearly as important in the league when they should be trying to win every game if they're trying to win the league, especially when you're in a league with fucking Barca and Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, it's, you know, where it, whereas, you know, fans really cringe at sometimes the way they, they play in the league against the lesser teams, you know, it's it's a really good strategy in the knockout round. Um what do you guys, though, I'm curious, what do you guys think we're going to see from Diego Costa this year? Three goals last year. You know, obviously he had to sit out for a while, but uh, I, I miss him on Chelsea. I really do. <laughs> we're we're going to see the same old Diego Costa, I think. Uh, the way he kind of played against, I mean, again, Nick, sorry to bring it up, but the way he played against Arsenal is kind of the, the Diego Costa we're used to seeing, and, and I don't think that's that's likely to change uh, with with any kind of... Even with the players around him might change, but that's still going to be the constant. Um, if he's on the pitch, he's going to be a nuisance. He's probably going to score a goal or two, um, but he, he's just there to kind of disrupt your back line. He's, he's kind of the, the antithesis of a, of, of a Sergio Ramos, if you will, kind of the, the guy who's, who's there to mess with your center backs and really annoy them and get physical uh, and, and make them make a proper challenge to get him off the ball. So. I think more of the same. You know, in twenty, his last season at Atletico, he scored twenty-seven goals. I mean, he was so huge for that team. Yeah, you know? and, and then he comes and, to Chelsea and he scores twenty goals in one season. You know, and keep going. Nick. Yeah, it's just. I mean, he, his style is not something that's gonna, you know, decline rapidly as he ages. You know, he's physical. He's always been kind of on the, not. Not slow, not fast side, but his strengths really lie in his physicality and his like tactical positioning, which is stuff that will he'll be able to retain as he gets older. I mean, I would love for him to just absolutely decline and plummet and get sold to China or something like that, but <laughs> uh, I don't see it happening just based on his style. I think he'll probably have an, another couple good seasons in him. Me too. I, honestly, I just love to watch Atletico. They're that team in you know any sport that you follow that just slugs it out. You know, they just slug it out and grind it out. And I think I just love to see it. To be honest, it's funny because people hate. I was just gonna say people hate Atletico Madrid style in Spain because you know it's a it's a country that really values like possession based, you know, pretty one two passing football. So it's funny that you say that you're this big Atletico Madrid fan because I think 
most people that are not Atletico Madrid fans tend to think of them as kind of like the ugly team in the league, like, you know, the Stoke City, but better, if you will. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, man. I mean, who wants to go up against that defense? Man, they're they're incredible. I mean, you know, somebody's got to be the villain, and they figure, you know, if it's not going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona, it might as well be them. So, Yeah, that's true. I want to switch gears quickly to kind of the, the, the other groups that we didn't really talk about as, as much. Um, Group D, Lokomotiv Moscow, Porto, Schalke, good to see them back in the Bundes- in the Champions League from the Bundesliga, and Galatasaray. That's probably the most wide-open group of the, of the, of the eight, um, but I think it's still – between Porto and Schalke, um, Galatasaray could surprise, but they're just they're just one of those really weird teams that they you know, they might have a player who's kind of past his prime, but still can deliver for a, a yeah. team that's building. And then you have Lokomotiv Moscow, which you never know what to expect from the Russian league. It's worth mentioning that I mean I know we're so early in the soccer season, but um, I got I got to catch Schalke's game against uh, Hertha Berlin, Berlin the other day. And Schalke is another team. They're in pretty bad form in the season. They lost two games in a row in the Bundesliga. Um, they, they do have a lot of talent. Like, you know, Sebastian Rudy is just kind of getting into the team. They got Mark Uth now from Hoffenheim. But uh, the defense, which in the past has looked really good, is re- looking really leaky. And, I mean, it's early in the season, but this is not the way that you want to look entering Champions League play. Yeah, and Schalke, one of those teams that, at least in the past few years, has been able to produce a, a lot of really good young German talent. Uh, that is, before they go to Bayern Munich or yeah. abroad. Um, namely, uh, you think about Leroy Sané at Man City, uh, Leon Goretzka, who just joined Bayern on a free, which is Bayern. basically yep. stealing at this point, considering yep. how good he is. And then Max Meyer as well, uh, who just yep. joined Crystal Palace this season. So it, Kolasinich to us the season before that. Yeah. That is yep. also just a lot of good good players coming out of Schalke, but not quite the force that they used to be, at least when they were competing for the league year in and year out. I mean, that is before Bayern just went I mean, on this tear. Yeah, I mean, Tedesco's a good manager, right? And he typically gets them, like when all is said and done, you look at the table. Right, and it, it really hampers them from kind of like taking it to the next level. It'll be interesting, you know, sometimes teams can be doing poorly in the league and still be getting things right in the tournaments. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play here and they have a pretty favorable group to go through, but it's, it's definitely just like they're, they're just a couple steps away from really, you know, actually seeming like any kind of threat. Just like, they're just too known for sloppy games that just don't work out for them. So out of, let me ask you guys this, out of the three teams in the Champions League from Germany outside of Bayern Munich, who do you guys like the most to make a run? I'm going to say Hoffenheim. Okay, wow. I just, I mean, Nagelsmann's a, you know, I'm going to say that just to have the hipster answer, right? Just (laughs) because everyone loves Nagelsmann, but... uh, you know that, and he just signed Reese Nelson on loan, so I'm hoping Reese Nelson gets some minutes in the Champions League. Um, but I mean, otherwise, like he, he's a he's really strong tactically. I mean, generally, you know, really really tactics heavy um, managers tend to do well in knockout competitions because you're able to like prep for a specific opponent and then you know try to neutralize them in one game as opposed to you know having to deal with switching tactics you know, 
20 times throughout a, throughout a, a league season. Um, plus, you know, you can take teams by surprise that don't necessarily see you on a week in week out basis. So, um, you know, I think he's got a good, I think he's got a good shot to do something not, you know, he's not going to go all the way by any means, but you know, do something that like the Hoffenheim fans can be proud of. No, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting, you know, answer, you know, it's, it's just, I guess, I guess we're looking for that one team kind of like maybe the Liverpools of the world that you, you can, you know, last year, that's a team that's going to make a run that you wouldn't expect, you know, and, Hoff, yeah, Hoffenheim is an interesting one. A lot of attention is being placed on from the Bundesliga, at least from uh, to Bayern Munich and Dortmund. But they're another team that not a lot of people are talking about. Um, I think another interesting one. I wouldn't even call them a dark horse, but I think that Roma is a team um, that could also do some damage. They're another team. I guess team we've been talking about that's been in bad form domestically, but. Um, I do like their defense and the way that they fit in terms of the format of the Champions League. So I think given the favorable group there, presuming they finish second, I think that's yeah. another team that can make a run. Yeah, yeah, and they did a good job like last just last season, you know, playing teams, making it difficult for them, setting up tactically to neutralize that specific team, right? And you know, basically making the best of even some pretty severe you know skill and talent disadvantages during their run i mean they're not even typically one of the best teams in italy from a league perspective you know they're kind of that second tier down from juventus and whoever's trying to challenge juventus that year but um you know they i mean they even gave liverpool a hard time right owen i know i know you were probably sweating at the end of that second leg yeah the second that Nyingolan scored that goal to make it 7-6. Uh, I, I was a little bit like, okay, let's let's stop messing around now. I mean, I know we had to – I know there was a big aggregate uh, goal lead, but it, it, it just got to the point at the end there where if Liverpool wasn't careful, that game would have ended with, with Roma going to the Champions League final, and we could be talking about a very different Liverpool team right now uh, if they don't sign someone to bring in Karius. Um, it, it just – a lot went on in those few, I want to say, 15 minutes towards the end of the game where it, <laughs> they made it very, very difficult. And it's it's not so much that, that Liverpool played awful. It's just Roma took their chances when they got them. And, and they're a kind of team that they, they kind of need – they don't need the opponents to not be at 100%, but they need, you know, just something every now and again. Um, from the first leg, it, it looked like, yeah, no, there's no way they're going to come back from this. Um, the way they set up to play at Anfield, going on the road in a really, re- just a really tough environment, and to get, you know, what they did out of that, which is two away goals, was, yeah. You know, the the big critique was not after that game was obviously not how well that or how poorly Roma were, but it was how poor Liverpool were at the end of the game, um, and part of that is is the way that Roma set up as well. So there's there's a lot that it speaks to just what they're able to do when given the opportunity. It's just sometimes they don't get that, that chance to, to kind of prove that they are the team that can make it to a Champions League semifinal. And in terms of, you know, uh, going forward, I think that uh, they also brought in a couple players. They brought in Pastore and Nzanzi. And I think that both those guys in the Champions League, Nzanzi that holding mid and Pastore, just a, a creative option, I guess. Those are guys that, that could help in, in a Champions League setting as well. 
Yeah, but you have to look at also the other side of Roma losing Raja Nyangolan, who is such a, a, an important player for them going across Very Italy to, to Milan uh, to go to Inter. And and, and I think he, he was one of the more underrated players in, in Italy. He's not going to – he's not going to – pop on the stat sheet he's not going to score a bunch of goals or have a bunch of assists but he's just kind of that one player who has both the steel and the creativity and and the ability to score from distance that that is an asset for any team and for Roma to not have that I think is is gonna not hurt their chances so much as just make it a little more more difficult when you know say they get out of the group they have to play a team like a PSG or a Bayern or a Barcelona um so but you know we saw what happened last year. Really, anything is possible. So, yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, Ngagolin, um is going to be—he's re- going to be really missed. I-, I agree with you. Yeah, but I think they saw. I mean, I'm not a expert in Roma by any means, but I mean, if you even just look at the Champions League, Neither. they made—they <laughs> made. You know, they had a great performance against Liverpool. They had a great performance against Barcelona, obviously. Yeah. But the like, even though that. Even though they knocked out Barca and they made it close with Liverpool, they were still leaking goals, right? Um, and it was just a matter of them being able to outscore Barca and them coming close to matching Liverpool's output, right? Um, and so it's interesting that when Nengelon left, who I typically know as more of a box-to-box type, um, right. you know, they replaced him with Nzanzi, who is you know much more of that kind of bruising, big defensive midfielder who yep. likes to stand in place and and protect that back four so you know we might be seeing a little bit of a different Roma this season just based on the fact that you know they may kind of shift to a more defensive model to try to prevent you know that them leaking goals so much and you know perhaps you know I don't know I don't remember all the games they played in domestically last season but that that may have been the issue that they had that prevented them from kind of really pushing to challenge for the title as they may have just been giving up stupid goals yeah, no, I, I'm by no means an expert on on Roma either. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean that was def that was definitely a huge issue in the Champions League. You know, uh, you can't concede that much. Um, but yeah, and shout out to the old Man City players too, Kolarov and Jeko, by the way, two key fixtures in that team as well. Yeah, Jeko scoring one of the goals of the season in the Champions League last year and just being a nuisance for. Pretty much every back line that he played against. I mean, when you have a player who's who's big and strong and physical, uh, and can also finish goals like he can, uh, it's 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 a pain when you have to go against that. I'm sure uh, for you know even the best of defenders. Yeah, no, he's he's actually he's been playing. I mean, in terms of just his goal tally, he's scored a lot of goals since he's gone to Roma. So he's a guy you can't forget about either. No, absolutely. A um, couple of the other groups to maybe keep an eye on. That We've talked about some of these teams already. Um, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Bayern is going to win this group, Group E, with Benfica, Ajax, and, a- and AEK Athens. Um, I think Ajax might surprise a couple people. Um, you know, Obviously, they're known for their academy and producing a lot of good young players. Um, but when you have to play Bayern Munich twice, uh, that's that becomes a little tricky. Um, just no matter kind of who is in their technical area. Bayern's always going to be one of the top three teams in Germany, uh, certainly top two. So that's it, it, a tough group for everyone involved um, outside of, of the top spot. I think Benfica could surprise, but uh, mm. we haven't seen them perform well in the Champions League as as of yet, at least in the last few years. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think it's Ajax or Benfica going second there, and like you said, Bayern's probably going to sweep that group up. Yeah, um, and then kind of maybe the same thing in, in Group F with Man City and Shakhtar Donetsk and, and Lyon and Hoffenheim. And, and City, of course, dropping points already this year after winning I don't know how many games in a row last season and, and just marching their way to the title, just a, a show of brilliance. I mean, they're, they're not even – they're two points off the off the top spot if, if my – that's yeah. Yeah, they have one draw on spot, um, which you know does that mean that they're not as good as last year? No, because we've only played th- four games in the season or three games, four games, four games. I can't do math, so we're four on games. week five. <laughs> I, I can't do math, um, but I, I they'd look like the exact same team that won last year, if not better, with the addition of Riyad Mahrez. Of course, the only really big signing. Um, and, and let players, of course, get more acclimated with Guardiola's system. Um, you know, it's been a while since any domestic competition. And, you know, with the international break, it's it's you haven't seen a lot of the players. But I think with Man City, it's just a question of keeping all of them healthy, keeping them fit. Um, and uh, they, you know, they look like one of the favorites, at least if not for this, if not for the, both the league and the Champions League, then one of them. Um, and I think their focus is squarely on the Champions League this year after after winning the league in convincing fashion last year, they want to improve on that, of course, and um, they've got a good group to do it. Um, as far as second in the group, we talked about Hoffenheim and Nagelsmann. Hoffenheim being the really, really good, t- uh, really well-coached side. Um, Leon with some some talent as well, but uh, I, I just don't see I don't see anyone really challenging City for the top spot. And it's between Leon and Hoffenheim, honestly. But you know, Shakhtar is a tough place to go. I mean, it's a it's a long trip to Ukraine and back, so it. it, it you know, no matter how good those teams are with Hoffenheim and Leon, it's it's still a long way to go. Yeah, this. I mean, do you think this could be the the group of death? I mean, maybe maybe not the group of death, right? Because Man City is the only. I mean, they're the most elite team, but this group has four, like you said, strong teams, strong teams in it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say group of death, but definitely difficult outside of maybe Man City. Um, you know that competition for that that second spot is going to be tough. Um, ultimately, I think it, it'll be Hoffenheim, but you know we've been wrong before. This is this is their first time in the knockout stages. Um, of course, playing that playoff against Liverpool last year, um, and and giving them problems at times. But you know you you could literally spend an entire season of of podcasts talking about Liverpool and their issues last year defensively and and how they tried to remedy that with just scoring a bunch of goals in the other direction. So. Uh, but but yeah, it, it's going to be a tough group. Yeah. I wouldn't say group this, of death for sure. Yeah, I'd say this group is kind of like the most uh, toss up of a group. Um, I do think Man City's the favorite, obviously, but you know, even then, any of these teams can give them trouble. Man City's generally not as good in the Champions League as they are in the league, and so you know, we could see you know potentially Man City going through second to some you know team that has a really good group performance. And I do think that all these teams. You know, aside from Man City's maybe one or two steps above the rest of them, the rest, the other three are generally kind of in that similar tier, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on on the French teams, but uh, they're always interesting to me. And Lyon's an interesting team just because look at look at all the players that have come from Lyon. You know, Umtiti, Lacazette, Loris, Benzema. You know, Essien. I'm not sure. I haven't watched them play much, but. Um, I'm curious what young talent they have on that team. 
well, one of the big names definitely is Fakir with his big move to Liverpool oh, okay. falling through um, with the, the nagging knee injury that he's had for for, for a long time. I think about three years now he's, he's mm, yeah. nursing that ACL. Um, so, I mean, it's a tough injury to come back from in fairness, but it's, you know, clearly they, they saw something that um, Liverpool did. They saw something that was too too risky for them to take on as, for as much money as they wanted to pay him. They have a couple like old Manchester United players too. Like I think Memphis Depay is on, is is on, that, on team. that team. And yeah, he's still on that team. Uh, like those two brothers, like Raphael and whoever the other one was. Um, Raphael, I think, is on the own. Hmm. Don't they have a Traore on that team? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bertrand. Yeah, <laughs> Traore. Yeah. No, they're. I mean, they're. Yeah. I mean, that group's really interesting. To me, I, I think that might be the most interesting to me, to be honest. Yeah. I, I want to briefly, before we get on to what I wanted to kind of wrap up the Champions League segment with, um, is is talk about Real Madrid. Um, obviously, they did what they did in the final, became the first three-time holders of the Champions League a year after becoming the first two-time holders of the Champions League, obviously doing the same with the, the European Championship before this kind of Champions League era. Um, but just an incredible, uh, incredible accomplishment with a really fantastic team. Modric going on to have probably the summer of his life at the World Cup and, and just playing some of the most amazing football we've seen out of the little Croatian midfielder. Um, but the big, the big thing with Real Madrid was was Zidane and Ronaldo both leaving the club. Um, Ronaldo obviously with the big money transfer to Juventus, and Zidane after three Champions Leagues, I think uh, La Liga as well, just calling it quits at, at the top. And I'm really interested to see how they how they kind of go from here. I mean, now it's one of the cases where you removed, obviously, one of one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in, in world football. Um, but when you look at that squad, there's still just a laughable amount of goal-scoring talent and quality defenders. And obviously one of the best midfielders in the world, if not the best midfielder in the world, in Luka Modric. And up and down the roster, it's just player after player who who brings to the table nothing but pure quality. And then what do they do in the summer? They go out and add Thibaut Courtois from Chelsea, who's one of the top keepers in the world. Of course, he having a good World Cup of his own with Belgium. So it's it's you remove... One of the biggest players in the world, if not of all time, and you add one of the big, one of the best keepers in the world, and it's it's just an abundance of riches they still have, even after losing what they have uh, in the last, you know, five or six months. Uh, Mister uh, Mister Gareth Bale has looked a little resurgent a few games this season. Um, he's a, just looked fresh, looked sharp. I guess he kind of carried that form from the Champions League final into this year. Um, I, I don't think goals will. I mean, we'll see though. When you get to the obviously, when you get to the the latest stages, that's where we wonder where how much you're going to miss Ronaldo. But you know, I, I don't think in the early portion of the Champions League they're going to have any problems. Yeah, I mean, you got Ronaldo leaving. I think there was some kind of backroom decision made because I think Bale wanted to leave if Ronaldo stayed because Bale kind of. You know, only gets so much game time with Ronaldo around, and I guess either the bid was right from Juventus, or Ronaldo wanted a new challenge, or all of the above. But you know, the decision was made for Ronaldo to leave, and Bale is slotted in seamlessly as you would expect. I mean, he's always been a world class player. Just you know, sometimes it's tough when you're not getting you know 
starts or getting full minutes week in week out and i do think that he'll probably be even better than he has been for the last few seasons now that he's kind of the guy the the icon that they're going to be leaning on for you know at least the foreseeable future and another guy on that team i just want to mention real quickly that i think that um kareem benzim is a pretty underrated player i think that he just he links up with the other guys in that team well i think that ronaldo played off him pretty well um, he's scoring again this season, but I, I think he just does a lot for that team. He, he just does a lot, I think, more than he, even he gets credit for at times, to be honest. Really, for whatever reason, he just didn't fit with what Zidane wanted out of his center forward, which I, I guess is it speaks more to just either his coaching, I mean, kind of having a specific idea in mind for what his, he wants his players to do, or for you know, what what a change is going to do for his game. Because we saw under, at least under Ancelotti, the year that they they won La Decima, uh, their 11th t- or the 10th title. It, it was, we saw goal scoring from, from Bale and Benzema and Ronaldo. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, when Zidane came in uh, a couple managers later, it just, it just wasn't the same for Benzema. Right. The predominant headline was, you know, oh, he's, there's a rift with the manager. He's going to leave the club, and and he's doing all this, and it, there's just a lot of question marks around Benzema. And then he obviously forces that mistake in the Champions League final, and, and now he looks like someone completely different after after the absence or in the absence of Ronaldo and and the manager. So a lot of question yeah. marks around Real Madrid, but I think yeah, they're, they're going to answer them, no problem. You like you said, his kind of um, guess kind of in the doghouse, for lack of a better word, was was interesting to me. I, I was always a big fan of his, and obviously now Marco Asensio uh, is a pretty incredible player, too. There's just so much talent on that team. Yeah, and, and uh, money will never that, be an issue for that club. And that's why Kovacic said he wanted to go to a club that wanted him. And I'm happy about that. Yeah, Kovacic <laughs> going on loan. It's only alone though, right? Getting some game time, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but Modric, I mean, there's all these rumors about Modric wanting to leave too, potentially. Who knows? You know, who knows? I'm not sure. Yeah, I I think there might be something going on at the club, but as long as they're winning games and continue to challenge for trophies, even if they don't win them, um, I think it's not the end of the world for their new manager. Um, But at the end of the day, it it kind of, it, it is Real Madrid, and the expectation is they will win trophies every year. So when that doesn't happen, uh, Florentino Perez decides to uh, shuffle his cards, if you will, and, and pick a different manager up from the pile. And, you know, if he doesn't do what exactly what Perez wants, then he's back in the pile and, you know, rinse and repeat until you win three Champions Leagues in a row. So I guess they found something that worked in the interim. So For sure. For always, sure. Always, want to talk, always an interesting talking point, Real Madrid. But on mm-hmm. to the last group of the Champions League. Uh, we touched on this briefly when we kind of broke down the group's initially but i want to get to juventus valencia young boys and this small club in manchester uh this complete sarcasm by the name of manchester united who are in uh i don't want to say full-on crisis mode but they (laughs) they are struggling right now um and even with uh, a good result at the weekend uh believe it was against burnley uh they kind of not shut up all the haters but put some of those doubts to rest temporarily 
uh, and then they'll, you know, obviously resume. They'll, those doubts will come back if they don't get a result against Watford at Vicarage Road on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's tough. But I mean, uh, if the Champions League started, you know, tomorrow, I, I definitely wouldn't pick Man United based on the form they're in. But um, no, it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> um, Manchester United is just definitely one of the most interesting teams to follow, and I honestly have zero idea of what to expect from them going forward. I think Mourinho tactically will be able to get the job done in the group stage. Um, I just don't I don't see young boys coming in and doing much here, and I think Valencia are dangerous, but Mourinho knows the Champions League. He knows what he's got to do. Um, I, I do think they're they're going to be more interesting to watch in the league. Had, but they also have that forever reason. I don't know how much of an impact you know you can really read into it. But Manu has really struggled against Spanish teams uh, in the past. Um, they, I think I wrote down that they won uh, 13 times in 50 matches against Spanish teams. Wow. Forever reason. So I, you know. Valencia is a team that's really, I think, is a good team. Would I, I'd still pick Man United to finish second in that group, but I could definitely see Valencia getting out of that group at their expense. Yeah, I, I think United's just got a little too much in terms of their man. I mean, Mourinho, let's be real, he knows this competition. He knows the Premier League. He's going to figure it out at some point, um, at least in the Champions League. He knows the Premier League, but that's, a, you know, that's an entirely different set of competition or entirely different competition with its its kind of intricacies and and you know obviously the english press is is brutal as we all know so it, it you know another mistake i i, I want to circle back to to his press conference after the uh or bef- i think it was either after the brighton game or before the burnley game where he he got asked about this about whatever it was going on at the club and then re- replied to the reporter talking about the number of Premier League titles he has and that's more than the other 19 managers yeah. combined and asking for respect. Um, it, it, it's just one of those really bizarre Mourinho press conferences that, you know, I, I'm still thinking about it to this day and it was, what, maybe two weeks ago? Um, but that's just kind of the thing we've come to expect with Mourinho. It's, it's you, you, you know what you're going to get, but at the same time, you don't know how he's going to give it to you. So... It's it's just this whole new can of worms. Like, okay, what's he gonna say today about about this and that and the other? Um, of course, last year he had his his long winded, what was it, like a seventeen minute rant about football heritage and after getting knocked <laughs> out of the Champions League by Sevilla, another Spanish team, like we talked about. Um, so just just a lot to unpack with. And then Marino. he uh, after the uh, Tottenham game, he goes over and claps the supporters that most of them have left. Yeah, and, and the ones that have stayed or maybe staying there, ironically. Uh, it, it, there's just a lot going on with the club right now, and just the fact they were able to get the result they did against Burnley was um, – it, it was it's good for them for sure, but I, you know, even if they are able to make it out of this group stage in the Champions League, I don't know how much good it's going to do them, especially if they have to in the next round play a team like a Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or a PSG or Barcelona – it's 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 not looking great right now even with the result even with the you know improvement in results for man united um and you've got to think a lot of it is Mourinho. you've so, you just got to think it is okay so let me ask you guys this um do you guys think 
that if Man United exit in the first round of the Champions League, is he gone? Oh, no matter without, without how, how well they do in the league, say well, they turn around the league and you know they're they're in the top four going into Christmas time, but they they whenever the Champions League group stage ends, they're they're out. Is that enough for him? No, nah, I don't think he gets sacked mid-season. Okay. Because I mean, like, what? There's no real benefit to that if if he's turned the league around, right? Because you're already out of the Champions League. It's really like you sack mid-season if just the res- if your results are piling up mid-season in the league and you're completely failing in the league and like even starting to like risk relegation. I think as long as the league is okay, if he gets knocked out of the Champions League, there's a good chance he's gone at, at the summer. Um, but I think he, he finishes out the year rather than throw right. some extra terms. So let's in let's there. let's reverse the scenarios then. Let's just say that Menu's in the Champions League, right? But you know we don't really view Man United. Can we agree we don't view Man United as being able to really go far in the Champions League? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. So for I the agree. sake of argument, now let's say in a couple months that Man United's not playing that well in the league. They're maybe sixth something like that. They're outside the top four. And, you know, there's a risk that they're not going to qualify. Do you think, is that a case where you could sack in midseason? I think it'd have to be farther down. And Mourinho finished sixth already, and they didn't sack him. Right, but they didn't win the Europa League, yeah. That's yeah, true. I think the one caveat, though, for them finishing really low is you'd have they'd have to win a trophy. Um, that's kind of been the thing with Mourinho is that Yes, it's going to be ugly. It's not going to look great. It's going to be results oriented, um, and if the results aren't there, then then obviously he, he I think he'd have to be responsible for that. I mean, they they brought him in to win. You don't get the job done. I think it's it's pretty safe grounds to to let him go. Wow. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I still stand by my hot take, and and it was funny. Robbie Earl of of NBC Sports uh, kind of shared this on the Two Robbies show um, that I was listening to a couple weeks ago. He shared this take, which was basically, I, I don't, he doesn't see Mourinho finishing not just the the season, but the calendar year. Uh, I think wow. by the end of twenty eighteen, he's gone. And I will stand by that take, um, even if it, it's not, even if it's not uh, the case. You know, it's only a hot take if it's wrong. So. <laughs> Wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with them. I I guess let's just not forget that for all the troubles, Man United crisis, whatever you want to call it, they do have a lot of talent on the team. Uh, I mean, they struggle on defense for sure, but um, I mean, I I just want to see what. I just want to see Alexis Sanchez what he can do because if he if he plays better and Rashford plays better. No matter their defensive frailties, that could really help them a lot, and they could be a different team. Starting to look like the swindle of the century that Alexi Mkhitaryan swap. My gosh, right? Yeah, Mkhitaryan <laughs> yeah. looks like a new player under under yep. Unai Emery, and and Alexis Sanchez still looks like a for, a shell of himself under a manager who has clearly no interest in going forward. Yeah, no, for sure. Could we Ed. be seeing? Could Go we? Ahead. Be, what do you think happens to Ozil? I mean, is there a chance? I mean, there's he's taking so much criticism at the moment. Do you think there's a chance if this continues, the club could sell him? I would say that if the club sells him, it's more because he doesn't fit Emery's style. Yeah. Uh, it's yet to be seen if he kind of like boosts up his 
fitness enough to be able to work as hard as you need to in Emery's system. I think that would be the only reason he would get sold. Um, the whole, you know, the criticism by the, you know, German press and stuff like that, it's, it's totally bizarre to me. Like, you know, he certainly had some of these issues with the whole, you know, he's German when they win, he's Turkish when they don't. And he called that out. And then like, they tried, they tried to like change the script on him and like make it about whether or not like his teammates and coaches are racist against Turks, which I don't think he ever said. He was saying that it's more of like a matter of whether or not, you know, the general perception of the Turkish players on the team and like how that shifts based on performances. Um, and, you know, plus he got scapegoated a lot for some pretty poor German performances in the World Cup that, frankly, you know, he was one of their, he was like probably slightly above average, I would say, across the tournament as far as their players went, because they had a lot of players that were virtually useless, like, right. you know, the, you know, their pure German bred striker up front, Timo Werner, was essentially complete garbage. Um, yep. And so... You know, I do. I do agree that it's it's messing with his head a little bit. I, you know, I'm hoping he kind of pulls out of that and, and gets the engine going and, and is able to focus on Arsenal for a bit. But you know, his name is just still just in the press every day about this nonsense. And right. I can imagine it's it's distracting. But I do think if if he gets sold, which I do think that there is a small but not insignificant chance of that, um, it's going to be more of a stylistic Emery decision as opposed sure. to uh, you know something having to do with all this drama with the national team. Sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, I I made too much of it in the sense of going as far as being sold. But, yeah, like you said, there's there's definitely a, it it appears to be a mismatch in terms of what Emery wants and what he's giving at the moment. So, yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's tough because, you know, he was in the World Cup and so, you know, he wasn't there for a lot of the, work that was done in the off season to try to get players physically re- ready for Emery's like really high pressing style. Um, and so, you know, th- you'll gas after 60 minutes when you're not used to playing at that level of intensity on the press. Right. And so yeah. I think that's like, a lot of people look into him being pulled and think that it's a decision by Emery because Emery thinks he's, you know, he's playing so terribly, he's got to be replaced. And I think it's more a matter of Emery can recognize when his players are, you know, too tired to be able to continue playing the system. And so he pulls him. I'm sure Ozil's working on his fitness and practice. And I think he'll probably, he's just going to be slower to pick it up. Or he, he uh, had an illness, quote unquote, right? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because it's like, he has, all, he has a lot of these illnesses. And to some degree, it's like, are these weird decisions by him to you know, <laughs> pretend to be ill or something like that? But at the same time, it's like, I've definitely known people anecdotally who get sick all the time. No, I know. It's just, un- it's just been happening a lot. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, it'd be, what it would be interesting to do is like, go look back during when he was, you know, a world beater for a couple seasons and see if he was still getting sick, like once every three months or once every couple months for a weekend. And yeah, know, people just yeah, didn't well. notice back then because he hmm. was falling out so hard, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I definitely think that, once he gets his mind in the right place um, and once he gets his physicality back up, hopefully um, he'll be be able to re-slot himself back in and adjust to whatever Emery's hoping he'll adjust to and, and we'll we'll be able to get the ball rolling. Because, I mean, Lacazette and Aubameyang look good and I'm sure he would love to be feeding him. Sure. It's actually a good segue into what I wanted to kind of tie up this this soccer segment of the show. 
um, is kind of looking ahead to the match day previews um, already in the fifth match day. I thought it was four in my notes, but thank God we was able to catch that now and might have said that earlier in the show, but, uh, you know, I'm congested, so I'm blaming it on that. Um, the big game of the week, arguably Liverpool against Spurs. We'll get to that in a little bit, but since we're talking about Arsenal, um, Arsenal going to St. James's Park to play Newcastle. Um, Nick, just want to get your th- your thoughts on, on what that looks like and, and what you're kind of hoping for for, for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for a win, obviously. Um, I think that we have a really good stretch of games here. Obviously, we lost to Chelsea and Manchester City, which was not entirely unexpected given implementing a new system under a new manager, first new manager in 22 years. Um, and there were two tough games to have as his first two games. And then, you know, it's it's funny because if you look at West Ham and and uh, Cardiff, who we played in the next two games, we, we got wins in both of them, but there were definitely still shaky moments as we're trying to pass the ball out of the back. We're trying to implement the high press and players are gassing and leaving openings. And so there's still kinks to be worked out. So um, we're lucky to have a really good stretch of games here where we can potentially work out those kinks while not dropping too many points. Um, so if we can have another performance like we've had in the last couple of weeks where, you know, hopefully look incrementally better as far as implementing the system, probably still a little bit rough around the edges, but end up getting the win because we just have, you know, too much quality for the team to deal with. I'd be happy to take another win like that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this match is uh, very interesting. I mean, Newcastle men, boy, have they had it tough <laughs> playing top six opponents in all their first four games. I see it ending in a a, a one one draw, um, kind of similar. Um, just you know, what we're gonna get Newcastle is gonna, uh, I guess, the last couple games they're gonna sit back and kind of park the bus, quote unquote. And I think that uh, they'll be able to get one past Arsenal as their team shape and defense is still a work in progress. But um, Arsenal's a pretty high profile attack, so. I think it'll be uh, Newcastle takes a lead and then Arsenal come back and gets get a goal to tie it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it's one of those games that you kind of keep an eye on, but you, you kind of, you know, based on the way that, that both teams are kind of playing, and at least in the last couple games, um, obviously it's it's different with the international break, but you, you'd assume that a lot of the same things are being worked on in training uh, and, and you're kind of getting momentum that way. Um, I, I, I would kind of trend towards towards an Arsenal win um, just, just for the sake of, you know, thinking that Newcastle aren't quite as, as stout as they have been in the last year and a half or so, at least since Benitez has been in charge. Um, we obviously saw him keep that team uh, in the in the Premier League last year with a, a championship caliber squad. Um, obviously, Mike Ashley not putting any money into the club whatsoever, and Benitez just just begging for money for for signings for mm-hmm. something to to get the squad a little more depth. And I think we're seeing the the after effects of that this season, at least so far. But you know, it is the Premier League, and anything can happen. And it's it's just. It's one of those games you do have to keep an eye on, even though it's, you know, you would think that Arsenal, after their first couple games playing against City, who I think were were good but not unbeatable in that game, and then Chelsea, who were certainly not unbeatable uh, in that game as well. Uh, but it, you know, you def- it's it's one to watch, no doubt. Well, I'm actually curious. I actually want to get your guys' take on this. I think this is an interesting thing. I actually going to be a bit critical of Benitez here. Not that I know soccer nearly as well as he does but i i know that you know it's not like you have to be a possession-based team but 
I don't think that the best strategy against a top six club is to line up with a back five. Because I think that if, you know, to line up with a back five and play as defensive as they have, I just think he saw it in the last two games against Chelsea and Man City. Like, you can't, for over the course of 90 minutes, and it'll be the same thing against Arsenal, like, you can't play, you, you can't shut them out over, not, over the course of 90 minutes. Or it's very hard to if you're going to give up that much pressure. So, you know, I'm interested to see against a team like Arsenal that, you know, has some work to do defensively if they're going to play the same way because I don't think that's the best strategy to play, to be honest. Yeah, and it'll be interesting because they sit, they like to sit back and generally what we're having trouble with is we're we're adjusting to having to play the ball out of the back, right? And so typically when teams come up and press against us, that's when we're making mistakes because Mm. we're having... You know, even our goal goalkeeper, our center backs are having to play with the ball at their feet more than they're used to. But if Newcastle chooses to, you know, we're just going to sit back and absorb pressure and they're not going to even press us on where we're the weakest right now. And we can just freely work the ball up. I mean, good luck sitting there for 90 minutes and not giving up a goal to Lacazette, Aubameyang, Nicky Ozil, Rambo, right? Like there's just too much individual quality there, I think. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they get one past us just because our, our defense is still pretty pretty bad, um, especially when Torreira's not playing. But I just yeah. I just think that it'll, it'll probably be a mistake on their part if they decide that they're just going to try to absorb pressure again because really they wouldn't be taking advantage of kind of a weakness that we have right now that might not be there in the second half of the season. That's a very interesting thing you brought up, though. That's a very interesting point with the trouble with the pressing. But... I guess to that point, uh, do you think that Arsenal? I think do you think that Torreira will replace Jaka in the starting lineup? Because I just am not. Uh, you obviously know more about Arsenal a lot more than I do, but I'm not a Jaka fan, truthfully. <laughs> I think he, yeah, I think there's a noticeable difference between him and Torreira. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean they're definitely not the same type of player, right? Like, yeah, uh, for sure. Jaka's more of like a. Javi Alonso type that likes the ball and likes to be able to distribute mm-hmm. long balls and, and get attacks started that way. Uh, I, I think he's had a rough go of it, just having not had a true defensive midfielder next to him um, and people expecting him to have to take over the defensive duties there. Um, I mean, not that he shouldn't have maybe adapted a little bit better, but to be fair to him, like he's not that mobile, right? And he's not going to be able to if you leave him, he's not that mobile. He's not great with the ball at his feet. And if you leave him isolated with, um, you know, no mm-hmm. outlet, you know, he's he's going to give up stupid, you know, he's going to give up possession stupidly yeah. in the midfield. I, I can't remember when it was, but in the Cardiff game, maybe it was at the end of the first half. He yeah, tried no, to play like a cross. Yeah, he tried pass. to play. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, yeah, I mean that's that's quintessential Jaka or getting stripped um, yeah. because he doesn't have anyone to pass to and he's trying to dribble around a guy, but. Um, I honestly think what will make him look better is him playing alongside Torreira and having someone who's able to go chase the ball down, collect the ball, pass it to him. He can either recycle possession or he can play a short ball back if he needs to, if there's no options for him. And then Torreira can potentially carry the ball up, being the more mobile of the two of them. Um, though it's going to be, I mean, it'll, if, if we play that, it'll be tough to drop Guendouzi, who's been right. uh, a little bit of a starlet for the last few games, who's looked really good, even though he's had some moments where he's looked pretty immature at times. Overall, his performances have been very solid, and he's been kind of a fan favorite. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see 
who falls out of that picture um, and who ends up, because I do think Torreira will end up starting by the end of the season. I do think, but at the same time, I think that um, Emery is kind of comfortable letting the dice roll with just playing Guendouzi and Shaka and knowing that it's a little bit weaker defensively um, against these teams like, you know, Cardiff and West Ham and Newcastle, where he can afford to be a little bit weaker on the defensive side of the ball. Wow, they're they're an interesting study. Yeah, before we move on to to Wolves against Burnley, kind of the next matchup I want to highlight uh, is Nick. Is it time for for Arsenal to start Burn Leno in goal instead of Petr Cech? I mean, I know with mm. with Arsenal this this new mm-hmm. system with Emery, there's an emphasis on playing the ball out of the back and being better with your feet. Yeah. And Leno comes from this kind of modern day keeper mold where he he's not a wizard at, with the ball at his feet by any means but he is certainly a, a better distributor and more comfortable with it uh than check at least has appeared to be yeah yeah no i agree i think leno is the is is he's going to be the long-term starter and he's and that is one of his strengths that i think emery will be looking to i think uh check has actually been playing well from a shot stopping perspective he's been having some struggles playing with the ball at his feet but his actual like saves and you know actual goalkeeping work quote unquote um has been pretty good for the last few games and i think that the main reason why he's still in there is is just the kind of leadership and and you know just what he brings from an organizational perspective the defense is still kind of rickety um and he's just there as a calming force and he can kind of help especially some of the newer players like socrates socrates and uh Herrera kind of settle in and make the right decision. Um, and I think eventually he'll be phased out for Leno, but I think the main reason he's being kept in is a, he's doing well from a shot stopping perspective and then B just that, that leadership that he brings to the team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting with all these, uh, you know, ball playing goalkeepers, but yeah, like you guys are right. I mean, Peter checks made some noticeable errors when he has the ball at his feet. So that's something they definitely have to address. Yeah, so something to keep an eye on for sure. A lot of headlines, a lot of storylines in that Arsenal-Newcastle game at St. James's this weekend. Um, Another one I wanted to highlight quickly was Wolves uh, hosting Burnley at Molyneux. Um, I I like what I've seen from Wolves so far this year. Obviously just the, uh, the one win so far, but the two draws against both City and Everton, teams who figure to be in the top half of the table, no doubt. Um... And it's not that they've, you know, played this outstanding brand of football. They've just kind of figured out ways to get it done in certain spots. Obviously, their free kick against Everton on opening day um, and then conceding to Richarlison twice. Um, it's just just a lot going on with Wolves, um, I think. But, but back to front, they've got a great manager and they've got this kind of belief that what they're doing is the right thing. And they've got a manager who very much so, almost to the point of being stubborn, believes in that system. Um, and the, the same thing's going on at Burnley kind of in the opposite direction, but Burnley just have not had it in the league for whatever reason this year. And, you know, it's kind of the, the broken record that, you know, adding Europa League football to any team's schedule is yeah. going to make it harder. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think, I think, to be fair to Burnley, they're playing weeks on end of, you know, two games a week, and yeah. they don't have the squad depth to deal with that because right. they had to play in the Europa League playoff, right? And so they were traveling to, like, God knows the end of the earth to play against teams right. and then um, having to ship back and play in some, some fairly hard games 
And so, you know, they are in 19th, but I don't think that reflects kind of their true sure. quality. And I think that probably having these two week this week off, so having two weeks since their last game might actually help them reset. And I believe they got knocked out of the Rebel they did. League. So, yeah. uh, so they'll be, you know, able to focus on the league. And I think maybe not a full resurgence to seventh place, but, you know, I think they'll be doing a little bit better than 19th, hopefully, by the end of the season. Um, but, but to Wolves' credit, I mean, they looked absolutely fearless against Manchester City. I watched that game, and they, you know, they looked like they had no idea who Manchester City was and didn't care. Um, and so, and I think that comes from, A, as you mentioned, the stubbornness of the manager, and B, the fact that none of these players had really played against Manchester City before, and so they were you know, down to see what happened. Um, and so I, I think that, Wolves is an interesting one to watch, but I do think that you know over the course of the season, um, you know, things will probably settle out for them too as as people start to figure them out and they start to kind of really get a taste of the Premier League. Um, I don't, you know, I think that they, I think where they are right now in eleventh is probably around the area where they'll finish. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I guess there were such high expectations for them, you know, coming into the year, and I think they played really well, and I guess. That seems to be, I agree, be right, right around where they'll finish. But I want to ask you guys about, and I, I don't, I'm bringing this up, educa- trying to bring it up educatorly. I don't want to be, you know, I know our show is called Hot Takes Only, but I, I just, I'm just curious about, I mean, how long do you guys think Sean Deitch has before he gets on the hot seat? Because if you look at the table right now, right, obviously it's very early in the season, but you know, you got to figure that West Ham has so much, a, a lot of talent. So I don't, I think, you know, they should theoretically be fine in terms of relegation. Newcastle's just played top six teams. And then, you know, Huddlesfield and, Car- Car- and Cardiff, I could see going down. But, you know, Palace and Brighton, I think, are two strong teams. I guess the point of what I'm bringing up is, is uh, Burnley, if they're not careful, could be in a situation where they're in a relegation battle pretty soon, just because I think that there's a lot of teams that are pretty strong, and there's only a few that, yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. Yeah, I think they'll give him a few weeks though, coming off these, you know, this month or two that they've had to play back to back to back to back games every week. I think, you know, I think it'd be unfair for Sean Dyche to be in the hot seat quite. Yeah, so no, I'd, soon. I'd agree. Um, but I do think that, you know, if they start, if they, you know, if they've lost some confidence and they start to struggle and they start to kind of hold around this relegation zone, that is where he'll start to be in trouble and they might need to make a nice call to Sam Allardyce or something like that. Geez, the specialist. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's definitely a great point. I mean, I, I guess the Man United game was an example. You know, the commentators were talking about how they just didn't have pressure on the ball because they had, I think, seven players that had played on Thursday, then they had to go play on Sunday. So definitely the Europa League's been affecting them. It's just, you know, you, you don't want to be in a situation like Palace was in last year, for example, where they just really, really struggled at the beginning of the season. Um, so, and, and yeah. I think, I think one player that kind of highlights this this struggle that Burnley's kind of been through this season is uh, James Tarkovsky, who – uh, played for England in, in their friendly against Spain, and uh, I, I wasn't able to catch the game, but just read he was just all out of sorts. Um, and, and you have to wonder if that's down to playing as many games as they have been playing. Because, you know, obviously the heart of Burnley's success last year was their defensive record and, and not conceding goals. 
um, and their strength on set pieces, and Tarkovsky was a big part of that for them. So to, to see him kind of struggle in a team that's kind of built on the foundation of uh, you know the the kind of the fundamentals, if you will, defending really well with him and Harry Maguire, uh, and, and good goalkeeping. Ben Ben Me, are you talking about for England? For England. For England. Yeah. I always forget that he's English. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. <laughs> you, you figure he's like Austrian or German, but no, he's he's English. Polish or something like that. Proper proper English lad. With a Polish last name. Um, but but back to back to Burnley. I I, I think you know. I think it's still a little too early for any team in the league to panic. I think as you start to hit that 9-10 game mark, then then you'll start asking questions. When you finally get a third of the way through the season, you'll think, okay, where where do we stand? Where do we need to improve? And, and what haven't we done? Or what haven't we tried that, that could potentially work? So I, I think there's still a little ways to go before we kind of get in the uh, the uh, oh shit button um, and, and call Big Sam over to the club. But who sure. knows? It's It's, you know... It's a strange game. It's a strange league. Anything can happen. But it, I think for now, it's it's you know table the manager on the hot seat. Unless your name is Jose Mourinho, which we've talked about <laughs> extensively on the show already. Yeah. yeah, and I would I would say Pellegrini's in more danger than Sean Dyche is yeah, too. Wow, that he doesn't have that he doesn't have that qualification of you know well I just had to play you know eight games in four weeks with the same group of players because Burnley frankly does not have that much depth. Um, that's right i would say absolutely you know going oh oh and four we'll see where they go from here but going oh oh and four um is, is not a good look so far especially considering you know who some of these losses have been to arsenal for example no but uh like you know they've <laughs> lost to wolves and burn burnmouth at this point so and uh, yeah and considering the way they want to play so offensive you know it's not like they have the foundation to you know play defense <laughs> which is a little yeah. Scary too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and to lose to Liverpool at Anfield and Arsenal at the Emirates is, you know, not the end of the world for them. But to uh, they lost to Burnmouth and Wolves at home, so yeah, huge concern. Yeah, the first thing for Burn- for West Ham is going to be to secure one point. Uh, still not on the board yet this season, so a lot of lot of work for Pellegrini to do with that yeah. squad. Even the Cleveland Browns have a draw. Come on, that's West right. Ham. That's right. The Browns have, would have more points. I'm than glad West you Ham. brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up. It's big, a little break in the fourth guys. wall there. Crossover we, 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 had, we forced him into six turnovers, and we still couldn't win the game. So that's yeah. that's. So. Yep. Well, um, moving on to a couple of the other games to watch. I don't want to talk about the results as much. Just these are interesting games to watch. We've obviously talked about Mourinho um, and what that's going to mean for Watford for Man United when they go to Watford, um, play them at Vicarage Road. So one to keep an eye on for sure. Um, and the other one before we preview kind of the big game of the week, uh, Bournemouth against Leicester. Um, uh, again, another very open game. Both both teams play very open styles. Should be a really entertaining game. I think it's always a pretty good game when these, these two play each other. Um, Eddie Howe, kind of one of those young, promising English managers, likes to play very open. Possession-based style of football with Claude Puel, kind of the same thing um, with Leicester. Um, so definitely two games to keep an eye on. This weekend, yeah. but without a doubt, I think uh, you guys have anything real quick before we get to Liverpool against Spurs. No, I think just I, I think Watford's going to be coming in with confidence high, and I think Manchester United looks beatable. So I think uh, it'll that one is a one to watch for me, not just because I love to see Jose Mourinho's tears, but just because 
you know, if, if Walker, if Watford can keep the man, the magic going, um, I believe their schedule gets a lot easier for a few weeks. Um, and you know, they could potentially put together a pretty good string of matches. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll be incredible. And I guess Bournemouth quietly is having a very good season so far. Yeah. Yeah. They're in, they're in sixth, six, yeah. just a couple points, points behind Spurs who will play host to league leaders, Liverpool, very, very, very early in the morning on Saturday. Uh, thank God for YouTube TV. I will be recording that game and not getting up for it because uh, I like sleep and also I'm potentially getting over this cold. So uh, no worries, I'll text you the result. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. like my phone's going to be on it Saturday oh. at you know seven thirty in the morning. I'll probably wake up and and hopefully not be hungover. Um, <laughs> I, I am. I, I got to tell you guys, I'm I'm not as sold as on, on a Liverpool win as maybe some other Liverpool fans are given the results this season. Um, I, I think for the most part, the performances have been pretty pedestrian. Um, but the fact that they're able to get wins with pedestrian performances is nothing but encouraging. At the same time, if that continues against Spurs at Wembley, we remember what happened last year at Wembley when uh, Dayon Lovren decided he doesn't like jumping to win headers um, and and made an absolute fool of himself, <laughs> conceding basically single-handedly conceding two of Spurs' goals. Um, and, and that game was just just a torturous one to watch for from a Liverpool perspective. But basically, that was the turning point in the entire season. Um, from that point on, um, really, after Van Dyke came in, it, it was all kind of, you know, it was all good for Liverpool from that that point um, up until up until May. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm hoping that. That Allison's big mistake is finally behind him. Oh, He's geez. not going to try to chip <laughs> oh, anyone God. or try any necessary. Rabona next. <laughs> but, you know, it's it, Klopp has been saying repeatedly in pretty much every press conference since that day, uh, you know, I've never had a Brazilian keeper so far, so it would be, before, so it would be an adjustment <laughs> for him. He's never had to buy a keeper. Let's let's keep that in mind. I mean, bo- at both Mainz and Dortmund, when he was in charge, there were already very good established keepers at the club, so he didn't really have to go out and spend money on a right. keeper. Interesting. Interesting. Now he has to do so and, and buys a, a, a player who would rather, you know, try a Cruyff turn on his own, <laughs> on his own touchline or on his own uh, byline than, than, you know, just put it in row Z. So, you know, wh- whatever he wants to do is fine with me. If he can keep more clean sheets than, than both Karius and Manuel combined did last season, that's, that is okay with me. Uh, you know, if it, doesn't change the result of the game. I'm fine with it. I, I'm not going to be happy with it, but I'm fine with it. You know uh, what, Owen, though? I do want to bring uh, this up. I, I'm curious. I mean, I know we're just observing from the outside, but if you look at his, you know, I didn't like his comments. He, he, kind of, he didn't take full accountability. Like, he's like, yes, I won't make the same mistake again, but he also said the pass could have been better. No, but, I don't but, know. I always wonder yeah, how that plays in the lock. It wasn't a good pa- like there. It's it's kind of a double edged sword. It, it was a pretty that. bad that pass for Van Dyke. That, that pass happens ninety nine percent of the time. It's com- like just normal. Right. Play but also, you consider that the the player who plays that pass is usually not Virgil Van Dyke. I mean, we're talking about one of the top keep top center backs in all of Europe, not just because of the price tag, but he's he's shown his worth in the way he's commanded a backline. I mean, he's made he's made Dayan Lovren look like a world class defender. He's made Joe Gomez look like a superstar mm-hmm. at the age of twenty one. So it's it, you know Van Dyke, I think, is worth more than that price tag might imply. 
uh, or that price tag might take away. So it, it's it's yeah. one of those situations where I, I get I get Allison might be deflecting a little bit of the blame, but at the same time, I think he has every right to do that. Um, you know, mm. again, he's he's a different brand of keeper, and and it's something that Liverpool has to get used to, something Klopp has to get used to. And and briefly on Van Dyke, he he was actually criticized a lot um, when he was being scouted by both Celtic and by Southampton a little later on, that he had a tendency to coast games, uh, coast through games because he was so dominant and, and he didn't really feel the need to go 100%. Because wow. he knew that you know he was so good that he didn't need to give 100% to shut down the opposition. So whether what it was a little bit cocky about? or whether that's... No, I mean, th- this, was one of the, <laughs> this was actually one of the comments about Van Dyke is that, yes... He's a very he's he's got a lot of quality, but we don't know if the mental side is there, and that's what held held him back from being signed to by a bigger English club a little earlier. Um, this that's not just me saying he's the greatest defender because he, I, I I think he still can improve, but that's just kind of the the thing that he brings to the table. It's it's as for as good as he might be, he's still susceptible to a little bit of a a, a lapse in concentration, if you will. So that's it, you know again quality defender, but true. You wonder I mean, if that's, he brought down who was it Lamella last time he played Tottenham. Um, yeah, yeah, by uh, swinging, swinging and missing at air. Uh, that's <laughs> that's really going to bring down you know the greatest of of divers. What? Who said that? Uh, no, but I it yeah it's again that's the lasting memory for me from from Tottenham is I don't want to say they're all divers, but. There are some players on that team who who like to hit the turf pretty oh, regularly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Lamella is but one of them. That being said, I think that there's there's there should be some goals in this game between Salah and Harry Kane. I think uh, it it'll be another it'll hopefully be another exciting one. It was a fun one to watch last time, even though mm. even though Tottenham came back, um, and frankly. You know, you guys, while you have been, have while you have gone four zero and had two very very dominant performances, I believe there was a performance there, if I remember correctly, against Leicester where they had some dangerous moments against you guys. Um, and then yeah, it was Leicester. They had their chances, and that was obviously when when Allison decided that he he wants to be a a ball playing goalkeeper and not just a regular goalkeeper. Um, and <laughs> and again, we we just spent a long time talking about that, so I won't get into it again. But yeah, it was it was Lester who who yeah. created some good chances against us, and um, it, it was more down to uh, not, maybe not mostly, but it was there was a good bit of it that was down to just mental errors on Liverpool's part. Um, but that's you know it's still early in the season. I guess it's not acceptable, but it's more understandable. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Go I keep going. You go next. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think I think you guys have still looked a little bit better than Tottenham have. You know, aside from that dominant win at Old Trafford, um, you know, Fulham had some moments against them. Right. Mm-hmm. Newcastle had some moments against them. Watford beat them. Um, mm-hmm. So it's you know, they are not, you know, not by any means looking at their results and thinking that this is a you know this is a team that we're gonna necessarily like challenge for a title or beat Liverpool with. So I think. Uh, you know, it'll be hopefully it'll be another interesting one. Yeah, no, I, I think I guess the two things I'm looking for in this game is one obviously is um, can how real a contender are Tottenham. Obviously, they started the season well. 
this year and then lost at Vickers Road. So I'm curious to see how they bounce back. And then, I mean, you did kind of touch on it briefly, Owen, when you're talking about the pedestrian play. But um, certainly I, I would probably say that it's just a couple games. But the offense has looked kind of pedestrian. And I know Klopp's kind of – they've tried, like, getting more width, bringing Alexander-Arnold up and tucking the wingers kind of in more. I don't know, but, you know, you just hope that they return to the really free-flowing ways offensively. That That's after a certain, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes in this game, I guess. Yeah, they need and, to get... And I wanted to bring up one point that I thought was pretty interesting that I, I noticed from the Leicester game. Uh, it was when Salah missed, I don't want to say an own goal, uh, an open goal, but it was pretty much a, a chance that he, if he focuses on just passing this ball in the back of the net, then he scores. Um, it, it's chances like those where Salah is in the best of positions. He's got every opportunity in the world to beat the keeper, and he just puts it wide or just puts it over the bar. I mean, I, I don't know how many times he did that last season, and he still scored 44 goals, which just speaks to how good of a player he is yeah. at just getting in position to score goals. Yeah. Um, and, and I think eventually it, the, the finishing will come back. And this was kind of the case last season. Yeah. I mean, he, he did score an opening day, but he, he really wasn't yeah. the kind of same creative. Uh, he, he wasn't this, you know, player who's scoring every day from day one. I mean, it took a little bit of time for him to, to really get flowing. But once he got going, he, he was scoring pretty much every yeah. single game. Yeah, and Aubameyang is actually the same way, where he's like he doesn't oh, yeah. have this mercurial finishing rate, but he gets you know three, four, five chances a game, and he's going to put away at least a couple of them. Um, but on the flip side of that, right, you have a guy like Harry Kane, who all he needs is one chance, and he's going to finish right. it. And I think that's where they make it interesting against you guys. Is it going to be, you know, because I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty fair to say that it you know, would not be unreasonable for Liverpool to go ahead in this game as well, right? And then can you you know, manage to actually secure the game as opposed to get into one of these kind of free-flowing back-and-forth games that you guys are known to do? Because if Kane gets the ball at his feet, he's gonna, he, he'll punish you guys. Yeah, That's right. that, is, that is the one thing I'm concerned about is, is, is taking a lead late into the game and then allowing Tottenham back into the game with a stupid foul or getting Harry Kane a half a yard of space, which is really all he needs to, to put one away. Or watch out for Lucas Mora too. Yeah. Oh, Lucas has been a really fine form for them as well. So far this season, um, really pacey skilled Brazilian, uh, a lot of big clubs are after him, but Tottenham able to get a signature back in, uh, was it January last year? Or was it over the summer? Yeah, I think it was oh, January no. last year. Uh, but really never, never fit in, uh, to this scheme right away. But now he's, he's really, He's really flourished, so it should be it should be a good one. I'm, I'm not excited about the uh, the fact that it's a four thirty and trying to manage, you know, being able to watch the game recorded without looking at my phone because that's yeah. a tough one. Turn I, off the updates; it's hard. Yeah, it's no, I'm gonna have to just keep my phone off when I I get up to watch the game and rely on just my natural, you know, Club. waking up not waking up after noon, hopefully, <laughs> but mm. we'll see. Uh, but a lot, a lot to look forward to in in the Premier League and the Champions League starting uh, just a couple of days after that. Uh, regardless of who you support, should be really exciting this year. Even if the coverage in the United States isn't as uh, accessible as it has been in past years, for lack of a better term, um, moving over to the Turner networks, the Turner Turner family of networks. Yeah. I speak English. 
Um, should be a really good Champions League this season um, and just hoping for another good tournament and hopefully a better better result than what happened in the final for me particularly, but who knows. Um, but that'll do it for the soccer portion of the show. Um, Nick, thank you so much for joining us uh, and and giving us your your take on Arsenal and and all things all things soccer related. Um, always always a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be on, and uh, you know, hopefully we can do this again soon. And yeah. hopefully uh, Arsenal will put together a nice string of wins for me to talk about and lord over you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right, thanks again for your time, Nick. And we're going to switch over to uh, a little bit of baseball. Take it easy, guys. Uh, take care. So that's Nick Snyder, a good friend of, of mine and my brother's, a uh, good friend of my brother's from college, who, big Arsenal fan, if you couldn't already tell, hops on the show every now and again to uh, give us some, some hot takes about his beloved Gunners. Um, we're going a little longer <laughs> than we thought we were going to, but I do want to get to the baseball segment because we've got Absolutely. a lot going on particularly in the national league um that's right and it's it should be an exciting end of the season uh with some very close division races and some division Mm -hmm. races that are basically over at this point um we'll start with the ones that are pretty much over you think of the al central it's pretty much a foregone conclusion (laughs) uh barring the worst collapse in the history of baseball the indians are going to win the central uh the red Sox are keeping their stranglehold on the al east leading the yankees by I believe nine and a half games, depending on the results today, maybe just nine. Um, uh, and then kind of a little less certain, uh, but still pretty pretty good-sized lead is the Atlanta Braves over the Phillies. Uh, but before I get into more of the NL, uh, or before... Yeah, no, no, we'll get, we'll get to the uh, actual NL first, the, the wide-open National League. Um, let me let me preface this by saying that the wild the West is going to be crazy. And it'll probably come down to the last day of the season. Absolutely, which is what exactly what you want to see as a baseball fan. Um, and then with the with the Central, it's kind of kind of the same thing. But it's it, the Central is more a question of which one of those three teams is going to be the division the winner, winner, and which the other two are going to play in the wild card game. Because it looks right. like it's going to be one of those either one of either Milwaukee or St. Louis those are going to be the wild game. Card. Uh, but the Chicago the Chicago lead over the Brewers is only two games right now. It's only the Cardinals by four, and the Cardinals have been one of the best teams in baseball since right around July. Um, yeah. So nothing is nothing is a foregone conclusion in the Central. It's a shame too that the uh, the Brewers and the Cubs played their last regular season game against each other today because they're they're really interesting. Um, so it, it's going to come like you said. It's it's those two. That team's going to get three playoff teams. Likely, it's going to be, you know, one being the division winner and two being the wild card. But Owen, oh, I just have this, this feeling. I could be wrong that we're going to see two. I think we're going to see the Brewers and the Rockies winning their divisions. I mean, I, I, I could honestly see both of those things happening. Um, we we saw not a decline by the Brewers after the All Star break, but just not the same kind of play we saw earlier on in the season. Right. Uh, but you're right. I, I think they're they're definitely a team to watch in the second half of the season, or they're not the second half. This is the end of the second half. Uh, towards the end of of the month, um, as we get to the end of the regular season. As far as Colorado, um, I I could see it happening, but I could also see an Arizona, for example, winning that. I mean, Clay Buckholtz has been phenomenal for for the mm-hmm. D backs today, or for the D backs. Even though Brad Boxberger just was removed as the closer right. uh, for the D-backs. Um, and it's it's a little bit of a question mark as to what the back end of their bullpen looks like. But I think 
it's not out of the question for them to win the division. Um, and you can't forget about the the defending NL champs, the Dodgers, who right. have been, it looks like, throwing everything but the kitchen sink uh, at the wall at this point, um, going out and getting Ryan Madsen off waivers from the Nats, um, and, and just trying to fix what has been a really, really less than stellar bullpen pretty much all season. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the Dodgers, right, you, you'd think they – they have so much talent. It's just, it's just one of those things where they just, they, they've been right on the brink, but they haven't been able to break through. I, I just see the Rockies. I mean, their spirit is so together. You know, today, for example, I was actually watching right before this. Um, you know, they're they're down to Arizona. They their bullpen retires seventeen straight guys, and then Di Matteo uh, hits a walk off home run. And this year, you know, it's just kind of the years where magic. You know, normally. We don't see Colorado as a team that wins games on the road, but they're winning games on the road. This year, their starting pitching has been, you know, decent. So it just feels to me like I, I don't. It just I don't have that feeling about the Dodgers. You know, I, I feel like the Rockies. This is their time. And I, I said last time that Arizona is going to win, and I don't know if you ask me today. I think Colorado is going to win, but honestly, any three of those teams could win. Yeah, it, they don't call it the Wild West for nothing, particularly in the NL. Um, it's it's going to be one to watch for sure. Uh, I do want to mention the Phillies because they are yeah. six back in the wild card, and it's not unheard of to see a team come back from you know five or six games at this point in the season with just about three times as many games left. But I don't know. The Phillies have been really struggling since I don't know for the last month and a half or so. It just it doesn't feel like they have that same kind of energy they had earlier on in the season um, when they were pretty much powered by Nola and Arietta. Um, and just yeah. a very steady lineup with Hoskins and Santana every now and again, and Michael Franco, and and it it just doesn't doesn't feel like it's going to happen for the Phillies this year. Um, but you know, it's not like the, the city of Philadelphia needs another championship. I mean, they just had the Eagles win, and we saw what sure. happened with the celebrations. So you would hope that if the Phillies were to miraculously pull it off, they could you know keep it a little less than what the Philly what the Eagles did, but. You know, I digress. I, who am I to comment on, on the city of Philadelphia? Well-deserved Super Bowl for them. Um, kind of sidebar again. Um, I want to switch over to the AL. Not because it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that's mm-hmm. going to be these five teams, the Red Sox, Yankees, Indians, Astros, and A's. But it's just how it's happened, though. I mean, sure. the Red Sox won their 100th game today, and they're ahead of the Yankees by 10 games. Sure. You consider the Yankees have won 90 games and they're 10 games back in the division is yeah. astonishing. I mean, sure. I know the Red Sox are good, but it just just the way they've been able to pile up wins is absurd. Um, and then, you know, you, you think of absurdities, you think of your Cleveland Indians, Will, in the center yep. just butchering that entire division. I mean, it's not, let's be real, it's not a great division right now. Um, pretty much every team is kind of in rebuild mode or just post-rebuild mode and trying to compete again. Minnesota, unfortunately, taking a step back after last season making the wild card. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's their division, the Cleveland. And, and yeah. you know, I think that could unfortunately hurt them. Not really, you know, playing a division that's playing, weak on sure, the whole could, sure. could hurt them when they have to play teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees and, and the Astros and of course those fighting A's who are just three and a half back in this in the West and have a stranglehold right. an eight and a half game stranglehold on the wild card so I have a few points I think this is interesting kind of related to 
all three of those things you just mentioned or so first off starting with the the going i guess just by the vision um i think that there's really interesting storylines in the sense that first with first of all with regards to the red sox and indians the whole i don't i mean this could be crazy but the whole al may hinge on two players like chris sale and josh donaldson if you know chris sale um is healthy they, the Red Sox need him. Uh, the Indians, if they can get production, more hitting, that could be a huge difference. So I'm curious, Owen, for, before we touch on the AL West, what you think of those two players uh, and how they could make a difference? Well, they're both they're both massive, and and obviously the one of the big things with Donaldson is the report coming out. I think yesterday, the day before, saying that the Red Sox and Yankees were actually unhappy that he was at, allowed to be traded to the Blue Jays. That's right. Um, I guess they obtained information that he wasn't going to be healthy enough to be traded, um, and you know he ended up passing waivers um, and, and was traded to the Indians. And of course, both of those teams looking for a little help at third base, more so the Red Sox than the Yankees. Um, but I think it's one of those things where it comes down to the Red Sox um, and needing pitching because we we know that one of the big things in October is always going to be pitching. It's kind of for granted. It's 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 not really something you can quantify it's more just you you need pitching in october you know full stop so i i think it's one of those cases where the red sox just don't they don't need a healthy chris sale they need a healthy and good chris sale um we saw last year he got roughed up by the astros and and the the thing is with his his performance in the playoffs last year that it was because he threw so many innings in the regular season so what do they do this season? They've really limited his his innings, and he ended up actually going on the DL twice with the shoulder inflammation. Uh, and you would hope that it's it's nothing serious; it's just a little bit of you know natural wear and tear on the arm. But they they really need a good Chris Sale because I, I've said this repeatedly on the show, and I'm going to say it again: the Red Sox pitching staff right now is not good enough to for them to win a World Series. You think of players like David Price, who's signed that big contract; he hasn't been good enough in October. You think of guys like Nathan Ivaldi, who's got amazing stuff, but the command is just not there sometimes, and you can't rely on that in the postseason. Rick Porcello, former Cy Young winner, who's got this experience, but at the same time, he's always a liability to give up a big number, and that's not what you want in October. Uh, and then kind of a, a mishmash of, of Brian Johnson, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Hector Velasquez when needed. Stephen Wright can go a few innings as well, uh, and the bullpen is just kind of a question mark outside of Craig Kimbrell, Joe Kelly, who's got amazing stuff, but again, the command is not there, and he was supposed to be the setup guy this year. That hasn't really happened for him. Matt Barnes is supposed to be the setup guy, but he's on the shelf indefinitely with a hip issue. There's just a lot going on with this Red Sox team, and I I will stand by this. They need Chris Sale back. They need him to be the ace that he is, and they need him to shut down whoever they play in that first-round matchup because right now, that pitching staff is not good enough to win a World Series, and that is what their eyes are set on. They don't care about the division. They don't care about the pennant. They want the World Series. That's right. Yeah, I guess it's inter- interesting, right, that it's there's so many question marks with regarding that, like we talked about, about with the Red Sox. And then I guess, you know, moving over to the AL West, um, Owen, the the A's are they're, they're on the Astros' tail, but they're still three games back. Do you think that they can win the division, first off? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think there's any question in my mind that they can win this division. Um, if they can come back to – I mean, they were basically 
through 30 games in the season, either at 500 or a game over 500, now they would be leading every other division except for the AL East and the AL Central, obviously. So that, that just shows you what they've been able to do with the players they have, and it, it just shows you that this team is for real. This this is not a mm-hmm. joke. This is not like a, a kind of, you know, oh, it's all money ball. It's, it's not real. No, this is a very real baseball team. They Up and down the lineup, up and down the rotation. Yes, they lost Sean Manaya for the end of this year and the rest of next year as well, which is really unfortunate for them because you, you just... Yeah. A player who's who had so much promise and threw a no hitter against the best team in baseball right now, the Boston Red Sox. It's just such a shame to see that happen. Um, but at the end of the day, it's never been one guy with the Oakland A's. It's been a collection of guys who play for the team. Um, and it's it, you think of guys like Matt Chapman uh, and Matt Olson uh, and yep. Chris Davis, Jed Lowry, Jonathan Lucroy, guys up and down. And then shot here's yep. here's the thing with the A's. If I was Playing, if I had to play the Oakland A's right now in a one-game playoff, and it came down to my bullpen versus theirs, pardon my language, I am shitting my pants because that bullpen is unreal. If you can get the, if they can get the ball to Blake Trinan at the end of the game, dude throwing a 98 mile an hour sinker at your back foot if you're right-handed is absurd. I mean, the dude is throwing 98 to 100 and it's sinking. That is sure. probably the most unhittable pitch in baseball. Yeah, but Owen, it's interesting you bring up that point because, yes, bull, their bullpen is definitely a strong suit. But, you know, in a one-game playoff, I think that's why it's so important that if the A's don't win the division, that they hopefully can beat out the Yankees for to get the home game. Uh, because, again, without Minaya, who are you going to throw out in that one-game playoff? They have other guys, you know, um, but... Kale or Jackson or whoever, but there's not one guy that leaps out to me, you know. That and particularly if you have to go to Yankee Stadium. Well, the the only thing I counter with is that they they never really had one to begin with. I mean, Manaya was maybe that guy, but even so, he was he was sporting a a mid three ZRA, and that's not something that you'd particularly you know be over the moon with. Over the moon, you know, you you wouldn't be over the moon about that with an ace. So it's it's never really been about one guy, and 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 the Oakland A's, given the fact that they've found ways to win all season, you know, even to this point, I think it, it wouldn't be a stretch to see them, even if they were the road team in a wild card game, go out there and just shut the other team down with a combined team effort. I mean, they could even go full bullpen, um, like we've seen the Rays do, and just throw, you know, seven, eight pitchers at you who all pitch one inning, but they all get. They all put up zeros, so it's I don't know. It's it's one to watch for sure, and I I would personally be rooting for the A's to win the division just because of what it would mean for for baseball and the storylines of of you know this era of the Red Sox being such a high spending team, and then you have a team winning the West by I don't know you know over the defending world champion Astros with a budget of sixty seventy million, which in today's terms is absolutely nothing. No, that's right. I mean, when you think about the Milwaukee Brewers and the A's. I mean, two small market teams, you know, right in the thick of it. But, but yeah, no, it, it's it's going to be really interesting. And again, on I, I know I mentioned this, but I just have such a beef with the with the two wild card system. I, I don't know. Maybe 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 it'll be, maybe it'll make it fun. See, you know? I, I think what would make it potentially a little better is for this for the wild card team uh, or for the wild card round to be a best two out of three. 
Okay, um, that makes more sense. I, I think the one, game, one game is a little, you know, it's a little too sudden. It doesn't really prove all that much. Um, exactly. Especially if, if a team has, you know, kind of a one-off kind of game. I mean, imagine the Oakland A's in 2014. They win that game against the Royals, but they get knocked out in the next round. What does that mean? If, even if the Royals go on and win the World Series the next year, you know, it doesn't it doesn't tell you everything you need to know about that team. So, right. it's, I don't know. I, I, I like the format now, but I would like it even more if it was a two out of three kind of series. No, that's a great point. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. You know, so... But it's so on. Uh, put your money to your mouth. Is who who gets the first of all? All right. So who's going to win the NL Central and the NL West? And uh, who do you like to win the wild card games in both both leagues? Um, I gotta tell you, I like I like the Brewers, and I like the Rockies in the Central. I'm going to go with you on that one. Um, wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, I do like those two teams. I think the the Cubs have enough, but. I don't know. There's just I just get this feeling with Milwaukee. They they just kind of brought in players who who've done it before. They've brought in players mm-hmm. who kind of fix their right. weaknesses. They've gotten a lot of production out of Josh Hader in their bullpen. Uh, That's right. They have a great bullpen. Uh, their lineup. Great Travis Shaw is just shy of 30 homers this year, which I never thought would happen. Um, the mayor of Ding Dong City back hitting dingers again. Um, and then over to uh, the the Rockies. It's you know, bringing back Matt Holiday and, and having Ian Desmond in the lineup and DJ LeMahieu walking him off today and, and Nolan Arenado, who's just a and Trevor Story incredible player. Trevor Story as well. And then in the bullpen, Brian Shaw and, and Wade Davis, two very smart acquisitions, even though if they haven't had the best numbers this year. So I, I, I like, I, I don't know. I like the Brewers and the Rockies right now. Um, I, I'm sure I've changed that. I don't know how many times over the season, but, you know, such is life. Um, yeah. In the wild card. So, I, I you know, naturally I'd have whatever NL Central team that is. I, I like a uh, a grudge match in the wildcard game in the, in the NL with the, the Cubs hosting the St. Louis Cardinals, and I, uh, I'm i going to take the Cardinals, actually, in the wildcard wow. game. Wow, uh, okay. I think this, there's something going on in St. Louis right now. It's it's a little – it's hard to describe. Um, I think it's the salsa. There's something in the salsa, man. I'm telling you. Okay. Uh, Matt Carpenter is just tearing the cover off the ball, um, and – you know this quote-unquote cardinal way is not so much a thing of the past. It's more just kind of reborn into just a a team that has bounced back from a pretty mediocre start to the season for their standards. And ha- they, you know, I, I like what they're doing right now in St. Louis. So I, I I'm a fan. I, I'm not saying I want them to win the World Series per se, but you know what they what they've done is is turned around a season that a lot of people thought was lost. Yeah. Man, that no, that's gonna be really interesting. Um, Do I, we even I, need... Yes, or go ahead. No, I, I would take the Cubs over the Cardinals. Mm, but yeah, the, I mean the Cubs are obviously they're the Cubs. They've one of the best managers in baseball, one of the best executives in baseball, one of the best lineups in baseball. Great rotation, good bullpen. I mean they've got and they've all the been pieces there. They've been there before. They've been there. They've done that. You know, one so, game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's very true. Well, as um, usual, well, um, unless you have any final parting thoughts on on the on the American League or the or the NL in general. Uh, well, I, I would I would just say that uh, boy, are the Yankees going to be under a lot of pressure? Oh, they <laughs> are. In- they are under a giant microscope right now, especially when Judge comes back. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's been talking about, oh, the Yankees will be fine when Judge comes back, and right yep. now it's it's you know it. He's he's running out of time to, to really make an impact on the season. I mean, you think 
yeah, maybe if he gets 10 games or so in the end of the season, he can, right. he can help the team kind of stay where they are. But it's he's running out of time. I don't know. I wouldn't be so sold on the Yankees right now. That's right. They're not playing their best. And I do the other thing, the last thing I just want to mention is that this weekend uh, there's a huge series between the Cardinals and the Dodgers, yeah, which I really think that could go along. Exactly. Both teams could, more so the Dodgers could really eliminate themselves if they don't win that one and that's the question against the Dodgers is their record against winning teams isn't as great as you'd like it to be but so we'll see well We'll that'll do it for our scripted segment of the show or at least our planned segment and now comes the part you all tune into the show every week for this is our hot takes only segment or hot take segment where we throw at you the parting shots from our thoughts around the world of sports and I've got uh, I've got one today, just one. Go for it. It is the hottest take I've ever had. I think I said that wow. week, but this is actually oh the goodness. hottest take I've ever had. Uh, Ian, okay. my brother, has heard this take already. We have a bet on this take, but I wanted to share it with the world, um, not just uh, – I think Nick and one of my brother's other friends has heard this as well, Brian, who we had in the show as well, actually, uh, a couple weeks ago. Okay. And my take is this. The Atlanta Falcons will miss the playoffs – miss the playoffs with Steve Sarkeesian as their offensive coordinator. Let me tell you why Steve Sarkeesian is a cancer to the Atlanta Falcons. Steve Sarkeesian doesn't know that when you have the best wide receiver, yes, the best wide receiver in the NFL, I'm talking about Julio Jones, you don't just target him 16 times a game in one game and then ignore (laughs) him in the other. You have to mix in a steady diet of targets to him and the rest of your receiving core, which, by the way, includes one of the NFL's budding superstars in Calvin Ridley out of the University of Alabama. Right. Furthermore, Steve Sarkeesian does not know that the same play against the same team in the same exact end zone does not end <laughs> the same does not end in two different ways. I'm sick and tired of seeing this man drive this the the Falcons who have had the best offense in the NFL at least in 2016 when they went to the Super Bowl, into the ground. Sarkeesian has no idea what he's doing, and he will be the reason the Falcons miss the playoffs this year. However, if they do make the playoffs this year, it will be because Sarkeesian was fired after an 0-4 start because the Falcons are not looking like winning a single football game right now. A single game. I mean, mean, you know a lot about the Falcons, and I will say I I watched the game, and... I mean, it is only one game, though. You know what I mean? Like, both teams were really struggling. No, but also, let me tell you why. Sarkeesian had 16 games to get used to his new team, plus four preseason games in both preseasons. Right now, it looks like the same Falcons team that went into New England and dropped an egg. It looks like the same Falcons team that went into Philadelphia in January and laid an egg. And the same Falcons team that last Thursday night embarrass the entire city of Atlanta because they don't know what the hell they are doing on the field thanks to a dumbass coach who has no idea how to coach. No idea at all. He has a track record of failure everywhere he's been and needs to be fired right now. They, wow. they, they, they shouldn't have let him on the plane back to Philadelphia, back to Atlanta from Philadelphia. Just say, hey, thanks for all you've done, but go find another job. You're, you're done here. Sarkeesian out now. Wow. So your criticism is they don't they don't spread the ball around enough? No. They have no idea what he's doing. Sarkeesian thinks that, oh, 
I have the best wide receiver in the NFL. Let's target him 16 times a game. Mm. You think maybe defensive coordinators are a little smarter than that? You think Jim Swartz of the Eagles and other defensive coordinators around the league are just a little bit smarter than that and they're going to see it coming? Wow. Guess how many carries that Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman had combined? Less than 15. Wow. For one of the most dynamic backfield duos in the National Football League. (laughs) Nick Chubb had more carries than Devontae (laughs) Freeman. Nick Chubb, a rookie out of Georgia, go dogs. It is shocking what has happened to the Atlanta Falcons. Shocking. And it's not because of Kyle Shanahan was a genius, because Kyle Shanahan is no genius. And I have another hot take on that, which I'll reserve for when the Niners eventually uh, do something really stupid. Uh, well, they didn't. They, they didn't. For what it's worth, they didn't look great. Garoppolo didn't look no, great in the first game. No, Kyle Shanahan is not a good offensive coordinator. I don't care what people say. He's not. Wow. Okay. Not. I will. I will dispute that to the edge of the earth and back. Well. Wow. Okay. So you think this this Falcons team is going to have the same problems? This Falcons team is the exact same team that is going to lay an egg against the big wow. boys. Guess who the Falcons play on Sunday? I don't know. The Carolina Panthers in Atlanta. Oh, who just killed Dallas? The Carolina Panthers made Dallas look like a bunch of babies. That's true. I am not looking forward to this. But on the bright side, uh, New Orleans lost in a shootout. (laughs) They couldn't stop Uh, right. There is no way we are ever going to beat New Orleans. Wow. Okay. At least New Orleans right now. You know, they've got a, you know, Atlanta has Sanu too. He's another guy. Yeah, exactly. Mohamed Sanu, another great, another great wide receiver. Or I wouldn't say great, but another good wide receiver Solid that play. is worthy of a few targets a game. Wow. And how about the fact that Sarkeesian just ignored Austin Hooper all game? Yeah, I, I mean. Oh, I, I completely forgot the other half of my hot take. What's that? Falcons should bench Matt Ryan for at least one game. Who's their backup? Matt Schaub. For Matt Schaub? No way. I would rather take a loss and get Matt Ryan's confidence back than take another loss with Matt Ryan and have him bruise his confidence again. Wow. Yeah, I am not backing down from this take at all. The Falcons will not be successful if both Matt Ryan and Steve Sarkeesian are still with the team at the same time. It it, It is not working. It has not worked in the past. It will not work in the future. Sark out. Ryan to the bench, at least to get his confidence back. I don't care. He hasn't had a quarterback okay, battle well, since you, he was a rookie. Let me ask you this, Owen. I mean, um, obviously, like, Sarkeesian, he's had, obviously, before the USC, he was, at, he was okay at Washington, but, you know, Nick Saban doesn't bring in someone as a consultant who doesn't think he, he knows what he's doing, you know? But, but so, tell, me, tell me what Alabama did in that game. They lost. They did not. They did not win that game. True. Sarkeesian has a winning record as a, as a head coach by three games. I believe this is forty two and thirty nine as a head coach. Wow. Now that doesn't wow. speak to necessarily his offensive coordinating skills. I'm sure he's a better football mind than I am. But with this team right now, with the Atlanta Falcons, the team that they have on the offensive side of the ball, he is beyond underachieving. Beyond. And, and I asked my brother this, and, and I don't mean to put my brother on blast, um, and it's not, a, it's not a critique of him at all. But I asked my brother one thing. 
uh, we were having this this argument. It, this was not a discussion. This was a full blown argument. Um, I asked him oh, to damn. name one one aspect of Sarkeesian's offense. Since you know, my brother pays attention to football strategy much more than I do, I asked him to name one aspect of Steve Sarkeesian's offense that he that he likes. He could not give me an answer. That alone. You're talking about with the Falcons or overall? With the Falcons. No, just his scheme with the – I mean, I guess with the Falcons because that's what we're kind of talking about. But I asked him to tell me, okay, tell me one thing about the the scheme that you really like. He could not give me Mm -hmm. an answer. He says, oh, I don't believe in in firing a coordinator just because, you know, know, after a year because he didn't deliver results. And I said, okay, well, what about about him do you like? He said, nothing. That to me is a red flag that – it's not the kind. It's not just a challenge flag. It is a we need to get this guy out of here now. Because wow! It's not. It, it's it's not so much firing him, or my brother's perspective, anyways. From what I understood, it's not so much firing him because he's not he's not doing well. It's firing him because he has to be given time. To me, he's been given plenty of time to fix this situation. Yes, credit to the Eagles for obviously playing well in both January and in this game on on Thursday, but. There is a point when enough is enough. I'm tired of seeing the best offense in the NFL neutered, and it's time to go. It's time for Sark to go. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's a really interesting take. Though. I don't. I don't back down from this take. I okay. will not back down from this take. And I, I have a bet with my brother. If if I lose, I have to buy him a case of beer, and put up an apology to say I'm sorry. I'm wrong, or I was wrong. I know nothing about football. That is only if the Falcons miss the sure. playoffs with Sarkeesian as offensive coordinator. Right. However, if he is fired, the bet's off. You know I, I don't even care about a, winning the bet. I, it's just it, off. That's a really educated opinion, like I said, because, you know, two years ago, and this this offense was so high-flying, you know, and then um, there was a drop-off last year, and, and just going off one game, there was two. So there is clearly something there that – could be done a lot better and the blame often does come back to the coaches so yeah and i i don't blame you for feeling that way and here's the thing matt ryan said he had one of the worst games you know he said he just needed to play better it was one of the worst games i've ever seen matt ryan play but last year statistically he had a good year he threw for a lot of yards more touchdowns and interceptions that's you know that's a lot of teams would would kill to have that but he was not the same Matt Ryan that was at the top of his game a couple of seasons ago. And the reason he wasn't, at least from for me, from the eye test, is is psychological, I think. I think he doesn't have the same swagger or the same confidence he used to have. And whether that's because the Falcons blew a lead in the Super Bowl is is beyond me. I don't I don't know what's going on in Matt Ryan's head. Maybe there's something in his life, in his personal life that's affecting him on the field. I don't know. But what I do know is that Matt Ryan right now is not right and Either needs a new head, a new offensive coordinator, not the head coach. Dan Quinn, I think, has done a fantastic job uh, of creating a great culture for the team. But at the end of the day, I think the problem rests with either Sark or Matt Ryan. So one of the two's got to not go, but one of the two has to be helped in some way. Wow! To get back to the very best that this team requires, because last season, we throw more stat at you before I let you get to your takes. Uh, yeah. The Atlanta Falcons won. All of their games by scoring more than 20 points. Guess wow. how many games they won when they didn't score 20 points? Zero. Zero. 
Wow. The Falcons' defense came to play last year. Their offense did not every game. And yes, they still won 10 games, which got them a playoff berth. And, and you think, yeah, okay, maybe that's fine. But realistically, after blowing a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl, you can't afford to have that much patience. Because your fans get antsy, and when your fans get antsy, they stop showing up. When they stop showing up, you lose ticket. When you lose revenue, uh, you can't get players. You can't get players. You can't. It becomes a vicious cycle, in my personally, in my opinion. It, you can't let that happen. You you don't have this. You don't have time to develop a team. This is not the Cleveland Browns. This is a team that went to the Super Bowl two years ago. The Browns sure. have not been to the Super Bowl in ever. And it's just it, it's worth it because, on like you said too, we always talk about in sports the the window closing, so to speak, you know. And just there's only a, a certain amount of time cracks you get at it, you know. And if this team is really underachieving, particularly on the offensive side, then something has to be done. Otherwise, you're never going to reach the the goal wing Super Bowl, you know. Exactly. And to me, Sarkeesian is not the guy to get the Falcons over the hump. And I will end my hot take with that. <laughs> Boy, that is a lot to get through. <laughs> Wow, that is... Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll toss it over to you. You Give me your hottest takes, Will. Yeah, sure. So, I got I do have a hot take, but I just wanted to give a couple shout-outs real quick. Um, first, I just want to hear your comments on uh, Keegan Bradley won his first tournament in six years, and it's nice to see guys in golf, particularly you know, when you, you, get, you have real peaks and valleys, and for him to have so many struggles and then break through again. I'm curious on your just, it's just, just good to see um, Tiger Woods yeah. played well again this weekend. And that's, that's good mm-hmm. for the game. I think to see him at, at his level, um, we'll just have another week off and then we'll see him at the tour championship, but good to see Tiger. Good to see Keegan back in the winner's circle. Uh, well-deserved. He played really well. Justin Rose came up just that bit short, um, but you know, that's not a knock on either player. That's just Keegan was uh, the last man standing and, and well done to him. Yeah. Um, for sure, for sure. And, um, you know, on – what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, on that note, on my second nice shout-out, it was nice to see Naomi Osaka win the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. She's 20 years old, the youngest finalist in the tournament in 10 years. She's an absolute stud. And being a tennis fan, I think she's going to be incredible. And it's nice to see in that sport young stars. Yeah, so, definitely, definitely. Before I get to the um, hot take here, okay, so um, I guess um, the main, I guess, it's not even, these are, I guess, both related to football, but um, the first thing is that, I guess, I think we have a real chance this year in the NFL of seeing an all-LA Super Bowl. Really? Of seeing, I think that there's a very strong chance that the Rams will make it. And then I think that even though the Chargers lost week one, I think that I like them to come out of the AFC West. So they're more of a wild card, but how exciting would that be in all LA Super Bowl? It would be exciting, but do you really think the Chargers can beat Tom Brady? That's the question. That's always going to be the question the AFC. As long as Belichick and Brady are, are working together in True. New England, it's going to be can you beat Tom Brady? And only no, that's a, really that's only a couple true. quarterbacks in the NFL in the last ten years or so have been able to do that. Uh, that's namely Peyton Manning. Once uh, I don't even know if they've won head to head. Maybe they did once. Peyton Manning. Uh, what Ben Roethlisberger? Did did Joe Joe Flacco? I think. Uh, and 
Nick Foles, who is an absolute yep. outlier. God, Nick Foles yeah. is not a good quarterback. Blake Bortles nearly did it. Blake Bortles almost did, but then he's you know he's Blake Bortles. So sorry, yeah. Bortles. That's true. Um, and then my other hot take. Um, actually, it's not college football; it's pro football. Even though college football has been very interesting. Go down. Um, I think that. Uh, I think that. This is going to sound crazy, but I think that in four years' time, we're going to say that that he he may already be for what he's done in the past, but I think that the John Gruden experiment is going to work really, really well, and I think that in four years' time, we're going to be sitting here talking about his legendary status. I could be completely wrong about that, and I will totally eat my words. But, but here, here's my question. Here's my kind of – not counter, but here's my extrapolation from your, your take. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be talking about the world champion Las Vegas Raiders? World champion. World champion yeah, Las the, Vegas here's Raiders. What I, here's, what I, here's what I think though. Um, I just – the question is whether they're going to get the personnel because um, – listen, they're – their offense, I think, is going to be fine. Derek Carr didn't play a great game, but I love the fact that he's bringing back the up-tempo offense. Um, they've got a really strong offensive line. They've got three good running backs. Um, they've got, if Amari Cooper can perform consistently well, um, they have you know a couple of good receivers and a good tight end. The offensive formula is all there. Um, the defensive problem... I mean, part of it lies with him because they have no pass rush without Khalil Mack. But if you give him a team on defense, like I think he'll succeed. I, I really do. Interesting. I like. No, I, I don't disagree at all. And I, I, I we'll, we'll see. I could be completely wrong. It could go really well or really badly. But I just like from them, just in hearing from them. I guess. Okay. So in five years, when we're sitting, at, when we're talking about the halfway point in Gruden's contract, if he hasn't, you know, if something hasn't already happened and he's no longer coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in Las Vegas, which would be weird to say. Is John Gruden a Super Bowl winner with the Las Vegas Raiders? This is what, this is what I think is going to happen to him. All right. I don't think they'll have won a Super Bowl, but I think that they'll have been one of those teams that is either in the divisional round or in the in the AFC Championship game and just can't quite get over the hump. Do but they they'll be there. the they'll Super Bowl be... at all? No. No, they don't. But, I feel like I'm with you there. Uh, I, as much as I want to say John Gruden makes uh, wins the Super Bowl with the Las Vegas Raiders, um, just to to kind of spook you know ten year old Owen or however year old Owen, however old I was when I first saw uh, Frank Caliendo uh, and then saw him eventually do his John Gruden impression. Um, you know, as much as I, I mean, want to say I'm a fan of John Gruden, I don't think it's going to happen either. And also, just I mean. You know, looking at the league, you know, like you said, Tom Brady's getting old. Ben Roethlisberger is getting old. Um, when guys like this, you know, start to decline, those are two major players in New England and Pittsburgh. You know, there's going to be openings there. There's going to be opportunity. So, you know, I, I think they're a team to really watch. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Lots to look forward to for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, well, uh, Go dogs! Yeah, go dogs! <laughs> and Buckeyes and Buckeyes. Georgia, Georgia barking already. Ugga. Uh, Good win. Middle Tennessee State this week. Um, you know, should should get the win there, but you never know. Things could Florida happen in lost. college football. Um, 
Yeah. Top three look pretty set in college football, Bama, Clemson, and Georgia. Uh, I think, you know, Georgia showed the country that, you know, a, a lot of analysts, I think Tim Tebow in particular, was picking uh, South Carolina to upset Georgia. Maybe not definitively picking South Carolina to upset yeah. Georgia, but saying it's a strong possibility. Um, looks very much like a, an analyst and less like a former player. Um, very wrong on that take. Uh, Georgia stomping South Carolina 41-17 really behind a, a monstrous backfield performance by Elijah Holyfield and Brian Harrion and DeAndre Swift, and the defense came to play again with DeAndre Baker with a an interception. Uh, DeAndre Walker had a big game. Natrez Patrick with another big game, really controlled the line of scrimmage well, and, and you know, it's just a classic SEC Georgia football uh, performance. Yeah. So Auburn I, LSU this weekend. Auburn too. LSU should be should be a really good game. Auburn, God, Auburn they have a brutal schedule. It's insane. Yeah, LS, LSU looked good this year. Uh, I think you're wrong, but they, don't, they also play, don't they also play Georgia and Alabama on the road? Uh, Georgia on the road, Alabama, I think also on the road, yeah. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah, it'll be it'll be tough for Auburn, but I think uh, I think they'll do all right. It, you know, I don't think they're going to win both against Georgia and Alabama. I think they'll lose one of those games, but I think you've got to be thinking if they can make it to Atlanta, if Alabama slips somewhere and they make it to Atlanta to play probably Georgia, then if they win that game, they've got a shot at, at making the the uh, playoff. But I don't know. It's it's going to come. The SEC West is is a very very tough uh, brutal division within the <laughs> it's conference. Brutal. So we'll, we'll have really to see brutal. what happens. Yeah. Um, but we're just about to, uh, out of time here. We've been mm-hmm. recording this podcast for well over two hours now. But um, <laughs> we want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about the show. Uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter and just tweet at us. Let you know. Let us know what you think about this show. We're always uh, working hard to make sure that it's it's up to the standard that we expect of ourselves, but also that the standard that you would want to listen to. Uh, if you want to join the show, have your questions featured on air. Uh, feel, again, feel free to get in touch with us at Twitter. Uh, big thank you to Nick Snyder again for coming on the show and providing his take on Arsenal and, and other, other soccer-related takes, world football-related. Um, but that'll do it for myself and Will Kniezner. Will, again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, yeah. Good to have you on as well. And uh, we will see you next time for the 11th episode of Hot Takes Only. This is Owen Hill and Will Kniezner signing off.